Welcome to the podcast that's dedicated to making you a faster cyclist, the Ask a Cycling Coach podcast presented by Trainer Road. I'm Coach Jonathan Lee. I apologize for the the voice. I'm a little under the weather this week. And we have with us Trainer Road and Cannondale's Amber Pierce. Good morning. We also have our head coach, Chad Timmerman. Welcome back from the snowy mountains of Canada, Chad. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, everyone. He was skiing all week at Powder Creek Lodge, making me so sad that I was not there. And our, I know, right? It was amazing. Yeah, I know. Look Just at saying. Yeah. And he was with Pete, too. Gosh dang it. Aww. I know. And uh, Jay Burke, the guy who, the race promoter for yeah. Point to Point. Yeah. Jay Burke. Yeah, he's a super cool guy. Or the race oh, director. Nice. Sorry, director. Yeah. What a cool group. And our CEO, Nate Pearson. Sorry, Nate. Hello. <laughs> got, to, got to you late there. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Today we're going to answer your questions. We're going to, we're going to, I guess, consider uh, the concept of gaining weight to get faster, which is an interesting one. It goes against all of our normal psychology as cyclists. We're also going to look at uh, maintaining motivation amidst race cancellations. It's still happening, unfortunately, but hey, we can change things around. We're also going to look into fasting for various different reasons. Um, so I know that a lot of people are interested in hearing that one. We tend to kick the hornet's nest when we talk about fasting. So, uh, But before we get to anything uh, on that, Nate, uh, we spoke about legacy pricing. Was it two yeah, or three so episodes ago? I have, I have two things to say, John. Go First, uh, thanks everyone who went into the forum, and there's a thread about that, about legacy pricing. Thank you for everyone's opinion. And uh, basically the vibe, the one that I heard a lot uh, was, you know, I, I stay signed up when I normally wouldn't be signed up because I thought in the future I would have something. And then, so if anything else changed, I feel like you'd be going against that. Like I did my part of the deal kind of thing. So right now, nothing's going to be changing at all with pricing. So I'll let you know that. And uh, also we talked a bunch about like different tiers and it was really fun just to talk to uh, trainer athletes and podcast listeners about different ways to structure their business and stuff. Uh, of course, we take that with consideration with all the other information we have and everything like that, but I really enjoy it and appreciate everyone doing that. Um, second thing is my, um, my doctor doubled my Adderall prescription. So like, this will be a good, good episode or a really bad episode. We don't know. <laughs> you just want to take it for me, Nate? I could go to sleep that way. You know, you, you have plenty. I took it like three minutes ago, so it's going to take a while to kick in. Uh, you'll, <laughs> you'll notice when it does. Don't worry. <laughs> oh, good. Uh, we have some, uh, also another thing I want to share is we have Spotify playlists. If you go look for trainer road on Spotify, you'll likely find the trainer road podcast, but you can also find like trainer road, the artist, so to speak. And if you click on that, then you can go there, or I should say the profile, and then you can find all the different, uh, uh, playlists we have. And we don't just have, we have playlists from Chad. I think there's one from me. Maybe Nate has one on there. I'm not sure if Nate does, but, uh, we have other ones too. And more employees are adding them from here at trainer road. So like producer Maxine that always carries the podcast every week. Uh, Maxine is not uh, a crit racing avid cyclist. However, uh, she does like sad boy music. So she put together a playlist if you like to train to sad boy music. <laughs> so there will be more added to this. Uh, we'll also have collaborative playlists that you can add on to as well. So go check us out there on Spotify. Check us out on Instagram. And thanks to everybody that's tuning in live on YouTube right now. Give us a thumbs up. That will make it so that other people give the video a thumbs up. Don't just like actually do a thumbs up to the screen. We can't see that, but, uh, thumbs up to the video. More cyclists will find it that way. Uh, okay. <clears throat> Can we take a moment to talk about triathlon? The audience was, is largely in favor of me mentioning triathlon stuff every once in a while here, which, uh, that's good because cyclists don't tend to be too forgiving. So I don't listen to the podcast. What happened last week? You can talk about uh, triathlon a lot. 
Yeah. Or no, for no. those who missed it. Yeah, yeah. Chad, yeah. Chad didn't listen either. Yeah, no, Chad was in Canada. Uh, so <clears throat> They get uh, the podcast in Canada. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. That's a good point. Oh, that yeah, joke. Good point. <laughs> Nate was like, uh, sorry, Chad was very far out of service up in the mountains somewhere. So, um, okay. We just talked about like me learning how to swim. That was it really. So right, Amber? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Amber gave some, me some great tips uh, and we just, oh, actually more than anything, Amber just talked to me. She didn't mansplain to me, which is, uh, or I guess woman-splain <laughs> in this in this case at all. D1-splain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but we just talked about that and, but, and we got a couple of people that were like, I can't believe you have ruined my only podcast that I truly love by talking about anything besides cycling or specifically talking about triathlon, but the vast majority of you really liked it. So Thomas, I know that you sent in an email. I'm sorry. We are going to talk about triathlon every once in a while, but you, you know can, what? Uh, skip forward. Yeah, exactly. Uh, on YouTube, we'll even put like a timestamp so you can see where we won't, don't talk about triathlon anymore and you can keep your socks high. So, um, but one thing that we need to talk about here is that a lot of people are asking, okay, so what race are all of you doing or who else is doing it with you? It's just me, right? I don't think anybody else is doing triathlon. Uh, you too? No. no. So I was no. going to, and then I uh, got a divorce, and I was like, eh. and then when I trained for so long and hit my head at Cape Epic, and that like went away, my motivation is uh, still recovering. So <laughs> that was a big bummer, and uh, just taking a little bit of an off season at the moment. And triathlon, <clears throat> triathlon is demanding, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but compared to, um, it's a different kind of demanding than cycling, but uh, it is very hard to manage all three, and. Yeah, it's it's hard. You got to if you want to do a triathlon, you got to be committed, and you shouldn't go into it being like, oh, I'm like sixty percent on the way there. You should be like eighty, ninety, a hundred percent on the way there if you want to actually do a triathlon, especially an Ironman. Mm. Yeah, that's fair said. Um, an Ironman is is next level. Chad, no, no triathlon for you. That's exactly where I'm coming from. I feel like the commitment has to be complete, or I'm wasting my time and everyone else's time. So, my aspirations are elsewhere right now. Um, the competitive fire in me isn't exactly stoked. I <clears throat> keep trying to do something on the, on the competitive front, and nothing really seems to pan out. I am pretty interested in gravel racing. But mm. at the same time, if I turn it into something that's competitive, I think it might sour me on the whole uh, just mm-hmm. non-competitive aspect of it, the potential for it. So I still haven't quite landed on that because the motivation, uh, in order me f- to find the right motivation to train as hard as I want to in order to be as fast as I can be, I kind of need competitive aspirations. But at the same time, the competition kind of sours me <laughs> on the experience. So it's a, it's a tough one. So That's a good in, in one anyway, too, if I've ever heard it, one, <laughs> it is yeah, right. But I'm more leaning into s- the strength side of things lately. Anyway, I, I kind of just go where my interests l- lie. I don't uh, mm. follow. Eh. I mean, we, we we put these challenges up, and I feel like I really want to be part of it for the sake of the podcast, for the sake of the listeners, for the sake of y'all. But yeah, try as I might, doesn't seem to pan out. Well, you aren't obligated to be anything that you don't want to be, Chad. Like, that's the, mm. uh, like, uh, pret- <laughs> You're Coach Chad. Full stop. Isn't that enough? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. You don't have to, you don't have to do any of those races. Amber, and you're yeah. not doing triathlon either, right? You've got <laughs> no, a lot talking going. about commitment right now. I'm just trying to figure out how the path forward, right? And how this is all going to fit together being a new mom. So, um, but I, I, I'm with you all. I, I'm kind of similar where I'd, I'd like to have an event or something, you know, a, a goalpost in the future. Um, 
I'm not sure what that is because I also want to be realistic a little bit about uh, any goal that I set. So right now the goal is just to get into a good routine and then see what might be realistic based on that. But we haven't quite gotten to the routine yet part. (laughs) (laughs) It's so tough. Chad, I am also getting swole. We can have our own swole contest now. (laughs) Swole? Like a different, yeah, should we do body, like which division of bodybuilding should we do? Classic? Oh yeah. I'm more where the board shorts Olympic weightlifting. So I feel like Chad and I should have a challenge, but Chad will be pull-ups. That's what he'll say because he's amazing at pull-ups. No, no, no. (laughs) It it has to be something that neither of us is great at. So there's a legit challenge there. Mm. I don't know. Anyone has an idea? Put a comment down or in the forum (laughs) about how, uh, Chad, if we have just a little friendly thing going on, do you think that'll motivate you more? Uh For sure. We can keep it friendly. (laughs) Accountability buddies. <laughs> it friendly no, no, it's real. Fart. It is. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, oh man, uh, yeah, I'm gonna throw in some ideas under like a burner account because uh, I don't dare uh, present <laughs> them myself. Nothing that will hurt my back because that is that derails pretty much everything in my life. Yeah, that's a tough thing because I don't really want to get into powerlifting. I want to get more into like looking big. I don't need to necessarily like because there's a different thing in, in uh, weight training versus powerlifting. Mm. You can do hyper hyper. I can't say the word. Hypertrophy. Uh, hypertrophy yes hypertrophy uh, <laughs> where you get bigger muscles you do get stronger but if you really want to be a strong power lifter it's a different type of training uh and it's a lot of neuromuscular stuff and you still get big but not as big mm-hmm. and but there's risk of injury and stuff too so yeah and not to like, split hairs but I, I have no interest in powerlifting as weightlifting which is you know the olympic lifts powerlifting is weight training yeah crazy heavy and that's way way out of my reach in terms of so the fragility of my skeletal system I would be doing weight training with a focus on overall just health because I am getting older. I'm going to be 40 next month, but also looking good for dates. Both of those things are in my, uh, <laughs> my those are uh, priorities. Those priorities. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, hey, t- we talked about having the why behind the goal. Yeah. That's right. There we go. You got to know your why, then you go forward. <laughs> there you go. But, but I could add that now with beating Chad in something. <laughs> nothing, <laughs> like, nothing quite motivates Nate like beating Chad. It's a good that's motivation. <laughs> that's why I'm trying to. I'm glad I can be that like, carrot. That's, that's cool. yeah. 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 But he's um, like, uh, sorry, I think we got to stick with this for a second. Chad's super <laughs> strong and he's super mobile. Like, and he's really good oh, yeah. at this stuff. Oh, yeah. uh, he's, you've been doing this longer than cycling, haven't you? Yeah, for sure. I mean, this has been since junior high, I think, when I went from yeah. doughboy to football player. We have and good I'm, rapid fire questions for this later, by the way. Uh, this is this yeah. is great. You guys are setting the scene perfectly. I'm loving this. <laughs> I I am um, uh so I was I've always been super like skinny, like uh what do they call ectomorph and mm-hmm. like band. So when you're in football, I was in marching band. But I was carrying a tuba and that was pretty heavy. So uh, anyways, somebody somebody put something in because I really want to know. Okay, continue, John. Yeah. uh, Well, actually, I just wanted to, Nate, you've, you were a triathlete. Some people may not know this, but you did triathlon before you started focusing on cycling and before you started, and also while you were building up Trainer Road initially. Um, Mm -hmm. And then Chad, you have done duathlon um, and, but you have also trained in the pool and stuff too. You've done a fair amount of swimming. And I was on Amber, swim team in high school too. I think Amber has done With some swimming Amber. before. Yeah. Yeah. I think Amber has done some swimming. Not really sure. Um, okay. So Amber, you spoke about something and I want to cover this. Hey, so John, we should say this cause there's new listeners. Uh, Amber was a D one swimmer at Stanford. Yeah. And there's a whole podcast that, series that you can listen to where we break down Amber's career on the successful athletes podcast series. And I highly recommend that everybody go listen to it. 
Amber did a wonderful job of relaying her experiences. Um, it was Thank wonderful. You. So, um, I had a lot to do with the interviewer. Just, just hey, throwing that out there. Hey, hugs, hugs. That's good. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you mentioned something with swimming, and it and it's really proving true with me. So, I, I I shared a video of myself swimming, not under the water, but just above the water. I didn't have a GoPro with me. Um, I lost count at over two hundred people sending in, like, uh, telling me what to do um, from from doing that. And the funny thing is, is, I bet that if I put it all into a spreadsheet and categorized it it would be 50 50 about conflicting itself. Like, uh, <laughs> people like don't let your torso roll at all. And then another person's like, consider it like a log you're rolling through the water. Uh, another person is like, you're bringing your arm up too high. Another person is like, you're not bringing your arm up high enough. So fair to say there are plenty of opinions, um, and plenty of things that I can do to work on and improve my swing, which is, uh, really apparent to me because, uh, I also, I, I, I choke and just drink water the whole time. So, um, so I definitely know I can improve, but Amber, you've mentioned something that's really helpful. Um, you were talking about an autonomic response that happens when we get into the water. Can you explain that a little bit? And then we can go into a detail on this. Yeah. For most folks, unless you really grew up spending a lot of time in the water and and kind of rewiring this, it's really natural for your body to react to this very unfamiliar environment. It's not something that we're used to. Gravity feels different. You're dealing with buoyancy in a way that you don't during the day. Uh, or on a daily basis, and you can't breathe the way that you normally do. And all of those things trigger an autonomic response that gets your whole system focused on surviving. And when your whole system is focused on surviving, it's really, really hard to have space to focus on any kind of a learning process. So the biggest part of this, I think, when it comes to swimming, it's, it's less about the buoyancy and the shift in gravity, but it's more about breathing because that's that's a really keystone aspect of being able to survive. So if you can get to a point where you feel really comfortable breathing and you can reassure your autonomic system that this is not a life and death situation, which it sounds funny to say that, but it's very true. If you've ever been in the water at a point where you felt like you maybe weren't going to be able to breathe when and if you needed to, um, it's it's a very serious response that your body will have to that. So uh, this is something that you really want to get comfortable with. So I, I shared with Jonathan, I think it's really important to focus on breathing and getting comfortable breathing because as soon as you can do that, then your brain will have the space and your system will have the space to focus on learning processes. And otherwise, it's just, it's really, it's too, it's too difficult to ask. Mm-hmm. Nate, John, do you want to say something? Yeah, so I, uh, in high school... I joined the swim team and it was just because uh, there was like a cute girl that I actually signed up for it. I didn't know how to swim. Good and, motivation. Uh, she, yep. <laughs> she turned out to be a Lake Ridge swimmer. So I didn't even ever see her. Like she wasn't ever there, which is funny. Um, <laughs> and I hated it. It was so bad. Uh, but I was not a good swimmer either. The first, I could not swim down to the other side and uh, trying to teach stuff. And then I did it for like a year and a half and I was never fast. And then I did triathlon many years later. And then swimming in open water or that long distance you have to do, I would get scared. Uh, I could just not do it. I had that same kind of experience where I did not feel relaxed and I was always tense in the water and like uncomfortable. And in my experience, the thing that helped me is I saw the total immersion video. And it's just like you just see this guy just glide and glide. You don't go fast, but they just glide. And um, the techniques that that he does, you're not going to be a fast swimmer, but it helped me get to this point that 
I started to relax. And I got to a point where I did relax. And then I had a swim coach teach me how to swim faster. Um, and those were like the steps that I went through. Like swimming the regular swimming way, I never got comfortable with it um, until I learned how to glide. And then I and then I combined the two where, okay, I'm going to glide a little bit more for triathlon, but also have the right technique and not have like a snowplow down uh, in my arm and stuff like that. Yeah, and they do that snowplow to keep your hips up, um, patrol immersion. So it's faster than drowning like you are but not as fast as like <laughs> an amber swimming and that sort of thing yeah chad did you have any experience with this of like getting over that initial because it's funny it, it doesn't um so there's fear and it doesn't feel like fear it just feels like an uncontrollable amount of tension in my body i don't know if that makes yeah. sense right like to people but <laughs> i'm not scared because you know i'm in like three feet of water but i could be in a thousand feet of water i wouldn't be scared i, can, I know i can tread and i can handle that but it's just like tension and it just makes it so that I don't work as well. Have you mm -hmm. experienced that too, Chad? Yeah. I think the, the quickest and most beneficial get that I achieved along the way was kind of what Nate described. It didn't, it did start with total immersion, but it really just kind of morphed into balance drills. And I found that by focusing on keeping my body balanced and properly positioned in the water so that I could glide and I didn't have to do as much work, the breathing started to take care of itself. Because at first I was focusing just on the breathing drills and my balance was terrible. So I just struggled to breathe the whole time and I wasn't really getting anything out of it. But then I shifted my emphasis to learning to be balanced in the water. The breathing came more naturally. And then I started to progress really nicely, actually. I wasn't swimming fast, like Nate said, but I was swimming far more efficiently than when I started. And you can swim for a long distance, I bet, right? Like you could mm -hmm. probably do a 200 and not be like, okay, I'm done for the day. <clears throat> exactly right. Uh, yeah. And it was, it was very encouraging. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. Yeah. Jonathan, to your point, it's not something that's necessarily happening consciously, right? Mm -hmm. This is, this is your autonomic system that's running in the background all of the time. And it's not something where you're thinking in your mind, oh, I feel like I'm about to die. No, in your mind, your conscious thoughts are, you know, I'm fine. It's only three feet of water. I can stand up if I need to, but that doesn't necessarily mean that your autonomic system is going to be in agreement. And that's where you're the tension that makes a lot of sense. This is, uh, it's funny because I probably have spent many a minute, maybe hours telling Nate, like Nate, just do this for technique on a mountain bike. Right. <laughs> and Nate's Nate was kind always in saying that basically like I need to focus on something else. Like what you're telling me to do is way over here. I need to focus on something else. And it's that level of, and Lee calls it arousal, right? Um, uh, Lee uh, McCormick from Lee Likes Bikes, a uh, great skills instructor. We have a video on working together with him. Um, and right now I think I'm uh, just uh, from a subconscious level, my body's not at the point where it can really learn well and apply things dynamically. That said, <clears throat> I've already seen like a good amount of improvement. And there are a handful of things that I was doing wrong that have uh, that I've corrected that have really helped. So firstly, like I used to just go through like a protractor through the water, you know, like 45 degree angle and just like push my way through the whole thing and then get exhausted really quick. I could, but when I started swimming with this, I could get to the other side of the pool, but I would be very out of breath, very out of breath. I'd hold a pretty good plane in the water, be flat. And then it, I'd choke on water. Then I'd start to go into a snow plow and I'd be out of breath by 25. Now I can string together 100s. And then after 100, I'm out of breath. Um, so that's better. That's like a, a whole lot of improvement that I'm getting. And a few things that I've done with that is I've really worked on rolling cause that helps me breathe without just getting a mouthful of water, which is really helpful. Tucking my chin, just like you guys said on the podcast is also helpful in this regard. It's like keeping my head down, 
But a few things I did as a cyclist, I was over kicking. I was using all my legs, right? And I was kicking like a champ. And I have big old quadricep muscles that probably take a ton of oxygen and then I don't have anything else. So it's just pretty rough. So in that case, since I had that going, I actually used a pole boy, a pole buoy boy. Mm -hmm. I don't know how you would even say that word, but, um, pinching that between my thighs forced my legs to stop working and stop kicking from up there. And it forced me to start focusing on like fluttering flippers of my feet. Right. Um, at a totally different level. So that was a big help, um, just to be able to operate at that level. Um, that made it so that I was not as out of breath as quick. I want to give you a tip, John, that I never knew for like all my triathlon. How long did I do triathlon for? Like five years plus swim yeah. team. Uh, I never, no one ever told me this is that your ankle is supposed to be floppy when you, yeah, <laughs> yeah. no one told me that. Like, yeah. um, I had them stiff and I would do kick drills and like eight year old girls would just be zooming by me and I have big feet too. Like I'm a tall guy. You think it would be okay. Um, and then one day I like at the very end of it, I like relaxed my ankle and it started to get floppy and it felt like I had fins on and I went so much faster. Yeah. And then you can also work on ankle flexibility where you like you sit like kind of you kneel, but you put your feet flat. Like I can't do that anymore, but mm-hmm. it lets you have more um, flexibility there. So when you flop around, uh, it can you get you push more water. Amber, yeah. is this all right? I don't remember. Yeah. Okay. Hundred yes. percent. Yeah. Thank you. You want floppy flipper feet? <laughs> yeah. At Masters Swim, that was one of the first bits of advice that I got, and it was fantastic. It helped so much. It was also funny that because day. as a cyclist we're just like so stiff in our ankles and stiff in everything. So I was totally holding them stiff, but then also my ankles were sore after that first day of letting them go lose. They were sore from just exploring that range of motion repeatedly. Right. Um, it's just so funny how bad we are. Chad's shaking his head. He's embarrassed that I'm a pupil of his that, uh, yeah, that it's so immobile. So that was really helpful. Um, and I'm, I'm learning a whole lot of other things, but I'm the one thing I'm learning is that, it just, I need to spend time repatterning that response. And that comes with reps that comes with time in the water. And if currently it's like a traumatic experience, it's not exciting to go to the pool. It's like, great. I get to go drown for a, a while. And, uh, but Hey, after a while, it'll stop feeling like drowning. Uh, that's the goal. So, um, but anyways, that's where the swimming side is on the running side. I just want to cover this really quick. Um, I worked with a couple coaches and I realized that I have been studying, like triathletes and looking at triathlete form rather than looking at running form, uh, from runners. You know what I mean? It is different. Have you noticed it, Nate and Chad? And Amber? I don't know if you've looked at it, but like really good, even really good triathletes don't necessarily look like really good runners in technique. Not all the time. The best runners do, uh, the best like pro runners, even at the end of an Ironman, they're running really well. And then a lot of people in training that are really high level look good. But when you're on the Ironman and you're running, there's this shuffle that happens, right? Mm-hmm. There's this whole like other thing that develops, which is it's kind of like total immersion. You're not going super fast, but you're just trying to be as efficient as possible. And it's a cross between a fast walk and a slow run. Uh, but yeah, I mean, going to runners for running is a great idea of, of how to be a runner. And that's actually what a lot of triathletes do is they have a swimming swim coach, a running run coach and a cycling cycling coach Yeah, for like They're technique, too- actually not so much in cycling, but for running and swimming for sure. There are two big cues that I noticed. So in, from a lifetime of racing motocross, I've built this like uh, this pattern of posture that is not beneficial for swimming in particular because it makes your hips just drag super far down. But if you look at like motorcycle riders, dirt bike riders in particular, the good ones, 
They carry their chest high. They're very upright. Their head is straight up. It's like a bar from their chest to the top of their head. And then after that, there's a lot of anterior pelvic tilt, meaning that their pelvis is tipped forward. So their lower back is really curved in the back. And what that does is that it allows your upper body and your lower body to be fully separate from each other. So when your lower body and your bike is moving all around underneath you, it doesn't upset your upper body. And that makes you really stable and dynamic and able to handle a bike well. Uh, some people call it unlocking your hips and it's really helpful for that. However, it's really bad for swimming because it makes you just like bow your stomach and you just drop right down. And then it's also bad for running. But the interesting thing is if you look at a lot of triathletes, they have more of that posture. Their chest is extremely puffed out. There's a difference between shoulders back and chest puffed out as I've learned. And then there's also a difference between holding like your pelvis in the proper position and then tilting it really far forward. I can't help but think that it's probably exacerbated by the fact that you're in the TT position, that you end up having a much shorter everything in the front, hip flexors, so as everything else, right? Like you've just been in this super hunched over position. And then when you get to running, it's hard to fully posture up and then have any sort of posterior tilt in your pelvis, not even posterior, just upright. So it's interesting looking, I've realized I've been looking at people in a compromised state, looking for form indication when maybe I shouldn't, maybe I should just be looking at runners. So I've worked with running coaches and everything else. And I think I've found some great ways to be able to uh, soften uh, up the landing and make it so that I can be a bit more durable. Um, or I should say yeah. just avoid injury easier. The, that's what I'd say right now with you, John, is just make sure you don't uh, get injured running as you up your volume and go. I wouldn't go super into like technique. Uh, even there'll be runners who run for 10 years, just fine. And then they start working on some, te some technique and stuff. You're going to get a much bigger bang for your buck. Uh, not getting injured. That's like, that's, a, that's the horrible thing about running is that all runners get injured at some time. And it's how you manage that and prevent those injury, uh, mitigate them and prevent those injuries is what's important. Yeah, for sure. So you're going to kill it though, John, what was your first 5k time again? 18 flat. So he had his first 5k 18 minutes flat. And I was like, that's some BS. This is a short course. Cause that's what I thought. <laughs> yeah. And then it was like this thing called Reno 5,000 and the whole idea of Reno 5000 is what it was like a measured certified 5k yeah and you ran that like that was his pitch is like this is actually the, the right length yeah and that was super annoying so first 5k <laughs> and you didn't even train right you you ran like no. for a month or something no I didn't do that um I think I did two runs the week before but I was an off season off the bike so okay so two runs 18 minute 5k he is a national level mountain biker but time trials you're a very good time trialist if you can just figure out how not to die Assuming you are going to be amazing. Uh, I really do think so. And Xterra, as long as Brandon doesn't show up, you're going to be really good there. Uh, he just, just got, the, different he races just got the stop sandbagging email. Did you know that that exists? So no, they sent him an email. Xterra did because he, uh, our COO, Brandon Need, we've had him on the podcast before. He won Xterra World Champs in his age group this year. Super impressive. Like, and he got an email from Xterra that was like, hey, we encourage you to race in the elite category because of your speed and your abilities. You should be racing there. Um, <laughs> so he got like the stop sandbagging email there. They did say at the end, they're like, it's not we're not telling you you have to move up, but we're encouraging you to do so. I think they're trying to build up their elite field by doing that. Yeah. Um, but uh, because the elite fields yeah. always could be bigger. But <laughs> I feel bad for Brandon on that because Brandon is CEO of Trainer Road, works ton has two twins, has to get up at 3.30 in the morning, works yes. all day, and, and then compared to his speed to the elite field, he wasn't, he wasn't going to be really competitive in the elite field. He was going to be no. back pretty far. But those people don't have jobs in twin, well, not everyone, yeah. but he has, 
he is not the life of a pro. Uh, and he's like, yeah, getting in his thirties. Like, I don't like racing people that don't have jobs. Like, <laughs> you know, like I, I just don't Tough. like, I like racing yeah. to be competitive. Right. And if I have to race somebody that doesn't have a job, it's just like totally different circumstances. It's really tough. I'm not saying that, or that is their job. Yes, exactly. If that is your job, that that's what I mean. Like a, you know, a different job. So, uh, the kid Ooh, one is, is tough because we can't separate divisions. Like you have twins, so you're in the twin dad or twin <laughs> mom division. Yeah. You know, we can't go <laughs> to that degree, but you know, I, I want to know what people say on the chat comments and in the forum. So Brandon's situation, and we joke that he only trained a little bit, but he trained like a maniac for Cape Epic and he was riding here fitness in for Cape Epic. And that's why he did so well. Mm -hmm. Uh, what do you, should Brandon move up or he didn't win by that much, right? 30 seconds or something. Yeah. It was pretty close. Uh, I think 30 seconds a minute. Like he didn't blow it out. He's not competitive and elite and he's got a full-time job COO of us and twins and getting older. Let us know. Cause I think he should stay age group because his situation is an age group situation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then I still want people to pick out which event uh, I should do. I don't think I'm going to do any races this year. I might do one. It would be very spontaneous if I did. I just don't have any on the calendar because I don't want it to be a competing priority with family, um, with my wife being pregnant. And then once we have the little one too. So um, don't want to do that. But at the same time, tell me what races we should do. I Xterra mode or excites me a whole lot more than uh, just doing a standard, you know, Standard road tries or anything else. So uh, let's get into Matt's question. Wait, wait, wait. He's, before before oh, we move on, I don't I don't want to backtrack. And big apologies to the people who aren't here for the triathlon discussion. But in the swim portion of this discussion, Amber's got a bunch of mm. pink uh, text, and I, I feel it's especially relevant because it brings to mind coming off of a, a ski week how resonant some things can be while other things just kind of bounce off you. She's put things in a number of ways and I'd love to hear her explanations for each of the four that I'm looking at. Cool. Especially because, uh, man, I, I seem to build myself into a situation where every time I return to Powder Creek Lodge, my skills are gone and I don't have a deep <laughs> base of ski, ski training. So, so when I show up first couple of days are, are a poop show, it's really embarrassing. It's very humbling. <laughs> I get, I get all the humility I'm going to get for a year a in about three days. Yeah, fortunately there is not. So, and, and every year, you know, there's some kind soul who takes pity on me. Amaret to a lesser extent, she seems to uh, come up to speed quicker than I do. Mm. But either way, I have to relearn. So the first couple of days are tough. And uh, on one, maybe second day, John Peachel, so John and Shelley own the lodge. John took us aside and kind of just, just helped us just refamiliarize ourselves with the basics of skiing. Forget about powder. Just remember how to ski. And he said two <laughs> things. One, one was you can't be too far forward. And that, that was liberating. I've, I've heard, you know, keep your shins in the fronts of the skis, lean forward. Don't let your trailing hand glide back toward the hill, whatever it is, those things didn't stick. But when he said, you can't be too far forward, miracles happened. It was like, mm -hmm. oh my God, I can't fall forward. And he also said, always see your hands. And I've heard steering the bus. I've heard, uh, keep your hands in front of you. Uh, it's been put a number of different ways, but he said, always see your hands. And if I couldn't see my hands, I was very conscious of the fact that I've lost one of my hands. It's trailing behind me. My point being, he put it in ways that clicked. So mm. they were resonant. So I think the more ways, if something's just bouncing off you, don't waste your time trying to decipher it and make sense of it. Ideally, expose yourself to another, another coach or someone who's very good at whatever it may be and, and allow them to put it in different ways. Cause those different ways uh, sooner or later, one of them is going to make sense to you. I totally agree with point. that. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. 
I think the best way to go through this is to have all the listeners send John tips to underscore Lee Jonathan on Instagram. <laughs> Lee, Lee Jonathan like, underscore. Actually, we sorry, what Nate said is right, so then it doesn't land. Sorry. Yeah. Lee Jonathan underscore. Yeah. Just give him your swim tips, like your analogies, send them through. He loves it. <laughs> um, Amber, uh-huh. can I run you through these ones then and ask you? Yeah. Okay. So let's do it. Hips dropping, probably one of the more common things to have for new swimmers, right? Um, mm-hmm. So hips dropping. Uh, Amber, what would you advise me or how would you phrase the advice to help me not have my hips drop as much? So the the thing on this is to remember that because you're in such a different environment where you're dealing more with buoyancy than you are with gravity, I mean, you're still dealing with some gravity, but now you're throwing buoyancy into the equation. Your posture in the water should be substantially different than what it is on land because Number one, you're horizontal. <laughs> Number two, you're dealing with buoyancy and less gravity, and you're balancing buoyancy with gravity. Whereas when we're walking around, we're vertical and we're 100% gravity. Um, so the analogy I like to use for this is like blocks on a string. So if you imagine that your body is a series of blocks, your head is a block, your torso is a block, your hips are a block, and your legs are a block, and they're they're tied together on a string. When we're walking around that string is allowing those blocks to flex relative to one another because we're vertically having to absorb that gravity. So the function is very different. When you're in the water, you actually want to pull on that string so that all those blocks tighten up together and move together as one. You can't really tighten your spinal cord. (laughs) (laughs) But what you can do is if you have that in your mind, then you can straighten up your posture. So we used to do, um, at Stanford, we used to spend a lot of time doing posture drills on land and posture drills on in the water. Um, and one of the drills we do is called a pencil float where you just go to the deep end and this might not work unless you have a deep end of the pool. Um, but you just float vertically. And what you do is you slowly tilt your pelvis under. So you're no longer doing that anterior tilt and you really want your spine to be as straight as possible. So you actually want to start to eliminate the curves in the spine, if you will. So you're tilting your pelvis under, you're pulling your chin in so that your neck is very straight and you're just turning your body into a kayak instead of a rubber raft. And that's another analogy that I like to use. When your autonomic system is searching for survival and safety and reassurance in the water, it's going to go rubber raft. It's going to spread out and it's going to seek stability. But what's going to ultimately help you swim is becoming not a rubber raft, but a kayak. And a kayak, as we all know, is a lot less stable than a rubber raft, but it's a heck of a lot faster and it's going to glide a lot easier. And so tightening up those blocks on a string can really help and working on that posture and understanding that your posture is going to necessarily be different in the water because it's a completely different environment. Mm. So those were the two things I was going to mention on that. And you, you mentioned body rotation and not wanting to separate that torso rotation from your hip rotation. Mm. And that's exactly right. Um, people can get away with this you can fudge it a little bit if you need to. Ultimately, it's going to be what works for you. But the fastest way to do it and the best way to to get the most out of your glide is your whole body should move as one. So yes, like a log. Um, and you should be rotating around one vertical central axis when you're swimming the crawl or freestyle, however you want to call that. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that feels the very unstable. That's what I call it. More like, Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it feels really unstable, you know, and and early on when you're trying to get comfortable in the water, you're going to seek stability and that's usually going to be the rubber raft. But if you can get to a point where you can feel a little bit more, more and more comfortable as a kayak, uh, you'll be able to get a lot more out of every glide in your stroke. John, think of it like you're becoming arrow. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's what, that's what she's describing. Yep. 
Exactly. <clears throat> and it's uh, if you want to see uh, me swimming, head over to my Instagram uh, and check it out. Uh, <laughs> drop me tips. Um, I may not read them. I may. Uh, who knows? But uh, I, that this is Amber. What you're saying is it's and actually what Chad pointed out. It's very important to hear it at different times in different ways from different people because yeah. at some point it's going to resonate. The whole point of like it, in an ideal world, yes, we'd be able to hear a bit of advice and be able to capture it, remember it, have it change us and move forward. But it doesn't work that way. We just have to hear it in the right way at the right time from the right person. And then it ends up resonating. That's a really visual way of explaining the, it, the, uh, the blocks on strings analogy. I really love it, Amber. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and it's, and I'm now getting to the point where, like I said, I can string together 100 without being out of breath. Right. So uh, that's really good. Way better than 25. So, you know, and that allows me to be able to focus on for a 25 yard uh, bit, I can focus on technique, right? A bit more and, and work on those things. So it's cool to see the progress already happening. Um, and hopefully I'll enjoy it at some point. Yeah. Thanks, Chad. That's good stuff. So it's always tough. I want to like move things along because I'm, I'm thinking of all the different listeners that are listening to this and somebody's yelling at it going like, they're afraid that their socks are going to start dropping in height and their sleeves are going to fall off because they're listening to this and they're really, <laughs> you know, upset. So I, you know, uh, but I appreciate it. And rest assured cyclists, this tri talk will start to diminish as my initial learning curve uh, goes away and it's just business as usual thereafter. So it'll come back strong when I start winning. So uh, check that out. Um, okay. <laughs> Next one from Matt. He says, this question is intentionally a little open-ended. What role should watt kg or power to weight ratio of lean mass play in goal setting and general preparation? Uh, so we've talked about measuring lean mass before. You can do it with DEXA scans. You can do it with like a Garmin index scale, or there's a ton of different scales that you can do that give you an estimate of body fat percentage and lean mass as well. And they'll tell you how much each of those weighs and you can track it separately. That can really help when you're trying to like detach from the overall number on the scale, because that overall number on the scale can, uh, it isn't very representative of body composition. Instead, it's just like an overall number. So, okay. Uh, Matt says, for example, I've peaked at five watts per kilogram for the last two years, first at 70 kilograms, then at 74 kilograms. During both peaks, I had the same amount of lean mass, and he may have mistyped this section uh, when we were reading through, so we're just going to assume a few different scenarios, okay? So he says, during both peaks, I had the same amount of lean mass. Last year, I was just carrying extra body fat. Looking at lean mass only, though, I went from 5.55 to 5.9 watts per kilogram. So once again, he may have made a, a mistype there. So some of this was due to having more structured training under my belt. The additional fat is enough that this year it's leaving me wondering about the importance of fat loss versus power development and preparing for peaking later this summer. So I just want to address this question in a few different general ways. And I think that it will help you, Matt, and it will help other athletes. But this is the whole question, right, Nate, of is it is it better to weigh more at the same, is it better to weigh more and to raise your power basically, or just to be the same? Yeah. And I, I think I understand Matt's question is what he's saying is if you just looked at lean mass, his lean mass stayed the same, but his FTP went up. So that's why he went from 5.55 to 5.9. Mm-hmm. Um, I would, which is possible, but probably not likely, but anyways, we, let's, let's just talk about gaining weight to, yes. to be faster. Cause that's the better one. Mm-hmm. Cause that's, and that's like, honestly, so it's a big fear, right? Because Amber, uh, being a pro cyclist, um, this was your job 
was to make sure that you were had a good enough power to weight ratio because that determined your ability to carry speed. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, did you, we, we did a podcast with Ben Jacquemain on this where we talked about when he, he said that he allowed himself to gain weight. He went through ext- uh, eating disorders and extreme, um, extreme, I guess, health issues, even with this whole thing, uh, trying to make himself as thin as possible. We have this huge temptation. How did you wrestle with this in your career? And what, what solution did you come to? Yeah, I, I want to touch back on Ben's interview too, because I think this is that's really germane here as well. But <clears throat> I struggled with this a lot. I mean, I'm 5'10", so I'm not a typical cyclist. Cyclists, the, the stereotypical cyclist, we'll say, is generally fairly petite and lean. And I came from swimming. I have big, broad shoulders. I'm tall. I'm quite a bit taller usually. On most teams, I was at least head and shoulders above most of my <laughs> teammates. <laughs> which has generally made me feel big. I mean, it's, you know, and those two words, tall and big, have very different connotations. And I definitely felt big. And that was a source of, um, it was, a, it was a, high, a lot, big source of stress because in cycling, there is such an emphasis on watts per kg. And we can't deny the reality of that. It definitely is a fact, you know, it does contribute to your ability to go uphill fast, for example. But um, one of the things I finally kind of wrapped my head around because what ended up being detrimental for me was the stress around that was feeling like I didn't have the right body to be successful in the sport. And I was thinking that while I was being successful in the sport, I was winning races in this very body that I worried was not, you know, appropriate for the task. And even though the evidence was right in front of me, uh, because I kept comparing myself to this particular stereotype, I always felt like I wasn't quite measuring up. I finally, finally wrapped my head around this and realized, you know, when I'm training, I'm asking a lot of my body, my body by its nature is adaptive and it's adapting to the load that I'm asking of it. So if I'm, if I'm fueling my body appropriately and I'm giving it what it needs to adapt to this load, my body is actually going to be able to optimize better than, um, if I were the one directing that (laughs) optimization. So our bodies are really wise. They know what they're doing. Um, and I realized I just need to train really hard and give my body what it needs. And that's going to put me in the best position to perform well. And in fact, it did. And that meant that, yeah, I was never going to look the way that a stereotypical cyclist looked. But I realized that that was actually okay because my optimal, what was optimal for my physiology, my frame, my build, my genetics looked different than what the stereotypical cyclist was. And that that was okay because I could still win races just being me. Um, didn't matter how much I restricted calories, I was never going to be five three. <laughs> That's just not going to happen. Um, but that really helped. And Ben's interview was really interesting too, and and we can talk about that a little bit. But um, he talked about one year he was coming back from injury, and he was so intent on getting fit fast. He really wanted to get his fitness back so that he would come into an early season team camp with as you know, and just really be able to throw down and prove himself. So his strategy for this was really interesting. He just trained as much as he possibly could every day. And then he just ate as much as he possibly could every night so that he would be recovered enough to go train as much as he possibly could the next day. And so he stopped worrying about the KG part of the equation. And he just focused on how much can I actually train and the best way to load up on the training was to fuel himself. And he just did that for this huge block going into his season. And he had one of the best seasons he'd ever had. He was carrying more weight. But what he found was he could repeat efforts 
better than he ever had in his career. So he would get to the top of a climb with the lead group the way he always had, but he had so much more left in the tank after that climb. And he would be able to repeat those efforts through races and from race to race in a way that he never had in his career. And it was very eye-opening for him. And it was an accidental discovery because of this injury and trying to come back quickly. Um, but it's something that's to be considered. Um, and and Chad's got some notes in here. You know, there's there's multiple ways of looking at this. Um, but I thought that that was a really interesting anecdote from Ben being at the professional level, similarly discovering that um, he actually could perform in a body that wasn't necessarily the body that he thought he needed to have in order to be able to perform. Yeah. I want to, I want to say before Chad goes to his deep dive, uh, it's not a deep dive. Yeah. Just a couple of oh. comments, a short one. Yep. Okay. Well, I'm just going to talk for Chad. <laughs> like to do that. Go ahead. <laughs> Get it in there. You'll probably say everything I'm going to say. So. Uh, It'll light in up. general, it's, I, it, it, besides very few cases, I think it's almost always better to be heavier and have the same watt kg. Um, as a heavy person, I, I see this all the time where I'll be four watts per kilo and it'll be a 135 pound, um, man who's four watts per kilo. There's almost no situation where that person is going to drop me or beat me in anything racing. That's because like, well, in a crit, I'm going to have much more, uh, if I get separation, my power on the flat is going to be so much more. And my aerodynamic drag isn't equal to, uh, how much more power that I can put out, right? So I can make separation. The only time that it's really going to be an issue if it's a really steep climb, like Watt KG doesn't mean you always climb the same speed at all gradients. Um, mm-hmm. And as it gets steeper, yeah. I did this math once, I don't remember the right one is, but as it gets steeper, the weight matters even more. And it's not just Watts per KG. Um, I would also say, Matt, in this case, I don't know. Uh, I've looked at this for weight training too. Just because you like you're saying you had four kilograms more body fat and but you were faster and that was the reason why you were faster. Maybe it's what Amber said. You were fueling yourself through training. Your aerobic system went up. You happened to gain some fat, too. But that's why you're faster. So the, the fat itself is not like pushing you through. Um, another way, you know, getting muscle mass, too, is the way people do it. And that can also usually lead to. Uh, being a faster cyclist also when compared with uh, with when paired with aerobic training if you just gain muscle mass and don't do aerobic training you're probably uh, not going to get any faster as a cyclist chad is that the same thing you're gonna say some of it some of it overlaps for sure Uh, i kind of want to home in on the but the additional fat is enough that this year so let's just talk about your concern over the additional fat um first Mm -hmm. off we always have to view this contextually we can't we can't just say what what is right for you is right for Vincenzo Nibali or is right for someone who's straight off the couch who's never raced before. So I look at your watts per kg and even when you don't relate it to lean mass, you're still at five watts per kg. So I assume you're a reasonably competitive rider, probably very competitive, at least in your capabilities. So then you just have to go back to reducing it to course characteristics, right? What are the type of races you want to be good at? And, you know, what is the impact of gravity? Do you have to do climbs? Do you have to do the steep climbs that Nate just described? Do you have to accelerate a lot? Because accelerating more mass is more work. Then you have to consider your level of competition. Are you an age group athlete or are you at the way high end of things, a really pointy end with national, international, and world level competitors? 
Those are things that are going to sway you a bit, but I think in all cases, you still have to prioritize health first. And I wish that world level riders would do this, but their consequences are different. If they don't perform, if they don't optimize, maximize everything they can, a lot of the time, the expense of their health, well, they, they may not have a job. They may not perform well enough to get picked up next season. They may exit the sport feeling like a failure or they shouldn't have ever been there in the first place. All these consequences are, are <clears throat> much greater in magnitude than anything any of us as amateur athletes are likely to face. Prioritize health first and then performance next. And the beauty of it is that if, if your health is spot on, if that's where your focus is, then the performance usually follows suit. So it, it kind of handles itself. You're doing the training, you're nourishing well, you're keeping yourself healthful. Maybe a couple extra pounds keeps you, even a fat keeps you from being sick, keeps you in just a generally healthy state so that you can continue to train, you can continue to progress. Then again, what I'm saying, the performance follows. And I'll use myself as an example. My best racing, I managed to get myself down to a scant. I actually touched 165, but that was you know, just water weight. I was down to a pretty reliable 167 and I was racing well, but over the course of the season, I didn't even, I, I just stopped paying attention to weight. I just stopped weighing myself. I didn't like how I looked, didn't like how I felt. Yes, I was racing well, but I started nourishing better. Sometimes intentionally, sometimes less intentionally. It just happened. I didn't focus on it. And by the end of the season, I had gravitated back up to 175 pounds, which is, you know, what, eight pounds. So three or four kilos, substantial amount of weight loss, but I wasn't racing any worse. In fact, I was racing just as well, if not better. I could do more. I could train more. I mean, the season just got progressively better over the course of it. And my weight came up over the course of it pretty steadily. When we talk about pro athletes, uh, if you're a pro, your part of your job is to form your life around your career so that it supports your career. Right. Um, and that's goes for everybody. That's why we have bedtimes that have to do with when we have to get up and be ready for work. Right. Um, we all form our lives around our careers. Now, professional athletes, part of their job is to form their life with precision so that it allows them to be able to perform on the bike. And what I'm getting at here is that an athlete will try to remove as much, um, external stress as possible in order to be able to train and put as much of the stress that exists in their life into the training aspect, into physical stress that comes from training and then eliminate the rest. So that will look like they aren't going to go out and have a late night with friends doing something or they'll, they'll pass on those things. They'll pass on the you know big home improvement project that they want to do. And they'll find another way to get that done, whether that's other people doing it or delaying it for a certain period of time. You do that because you're trying to optimize things down to the nth degree. Now that's a really fragile way to live. And what it does is it puts you in a position, if you're that optimized, that if anything goes wrong, you are right on the edge, so you instantly fall off that edge into the water, right? Uh, you can tell where my fears lie, into the water. But uh, but the that's what happens when you try to run things so close to the edge. Um, some people say, you know, fly too close to the sun, you get burned. It's the same thing. And for average athletes, I'd argue, so when we look back in the past and we think, man, I was really fast at that time and I was really lean at that time and we try to piece it all together. If you actually look at your ability to perform consistently, if you are really running things down the line, I guarantee you, you had sporadic success. You had bright spots, but you weren't able to repeat that, not just in the same workout, but day after day, week after week. It's really important that us average people are durable we have to be able to accept what life come or accept what life gives us and still be able to stick to our training. 
And part of that comes down to our nutrition and what we're doing. If we're trying to run ourselves down to the very thin edge the whole time, it's just going to be so easy to get sick, so easy to get tired, so easy to, to be too fatigued to be able to complete the workouts like we need to and make improvements. So there's a huge temptation to follow this, but for all of us in particular, where it's not our jobs to be pro cyclists, I would encourage us to focus on the Watts, not on the KG. And if you do that and your weight may rise, I guarantee your power will rise, but above all, you'll be able to be more consistent. And we say this like a broken record, but athletes that can train consistently over time, they're the ones that get faster. I know that sounds super simple, but if anything, we should be trying to pattern everything to allow us to be able to train consistently rather than just go up a hill quick. So that's an, I think important guidance for all of us. A lot of athletes could probably do with a bit more weight um, because it probably helped them be able to be a bit more consistent. Um, that can be a tricky thing to, to wrestle with, but don't be afraid to let yourself consider that. Don't feel like you absolutely have to be up against the ropes for everybody listening to this. So, um, Aslan's question, he says, I've started training with trainer road again after taking some time off last year. I aim to maintain consistency in training this year. Way to go. It's quite the goal. Um, he says, being a Muslim, we fast in the month of Ramadan for this year. That will be in April with fasting and other commitments throughout the month. What is the best way to maintain fitness during this month, given very limited training time, maybe one to two hours per week. And primarily, he says, primarily the aim would still be to, uh, to be able to hold sweet spot intensity at the end of the month. Thanks a lot for the advice. Um, Amber, do you want to get into Ramadan in particular? And then Chad, will let you kind of take things on, on fasting. Sound good? Yeah, that sounds good. I'll, I'll kind of hit surface level stuff and we'll let Chad do the deep dive. Cool. <laughs> a little deeper. No deep dives this week. <laughs> okay. So I think the big thing about Ramadan is, uh, is really mindset. You know, the, this is a, a spiritual time. And so being, giving yourself permission to adjust your focus and adjust your expectations, right? The focus here is on, you know, the celebratory nature of this event and the spiritual aspects of this and allowing yourself the space to do that and allowing your training maybe to take a, a back burner position during that time is fine. And allow, you know, giving yourself permission to do that is really important. You can do that um, without completely having your training go off the rails. And athletes do this all of the time. So this is this is not a new thing. And, and there are a lot of people who do this year after year, very successfully. Um, so first things first is the mindset, you know, where do you want to where do you want your focus to be and giving yourself permission to maybe let that be something other than training for the time being. That said, you can continue to train, obviously. Um, because of the fasting, I, you know, as a practical standpoint, I'd suggest possibly adjusting your volume and maybe adjusting, adjusting the frequency with which you're actually having intense workouts. You mentioned sweet spot. Um, Chad's going to get more into the physiology on this, but just being able to you know, do some work in that system pretty consistently is going to help stave off any fitness decline in that training zone. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, maybe you'll want to focus your intense sessions on sweet spot in particular, um, and maybe make those sessions a little bit shorter. And then in terms of timing the workouts, I think this is something that you can play around with and see what works for you. A lot of athletes will train right before or after iftar and iftar is, uh, the evening meal um, after breaking the fast for those who aren't familiar. So training right before or after that, if you're training right before that, you're going to be training in a deficit, but then you'll be able to replenish with the meal. If you train right after you'll have replenished and be able to train on that replenishment. Um, the other option is if you're a morning person and 
really early morning person, you could train right before or after suhor. And suhor is the meal in the morning before the fast begins for the day. Uh, so that's another potential option. I think that might be a little bit tougher for those of us like me who are not morning people. Um, but try, train, timing your workout to be right before or after one of those meals might be a way of managing the fasting aspect of this. And then the other, the last thing is just to say, training while fasted is stressful and you're going to have a lot of other things going on during that month aside from your training. So giving yourself permission also to ease back into a regular training schedule after Ramadan. So don't feel like you have to jump in right away, but give your body the chance to adapt back to a higher level of volume or intensity. Um, it's going to be really important and just trust that your body will, will be able to adapt to that and trust that the fitness will come. The training will come. If you did see a little bit of a decline, it's okay. You'll get it back quickly. Um, yeah. and I'm going to turn it over to Chad. Who's got some, some more detail on the physiological aspects of this. Okay. Yeah. So I do, I have a, a bit of notes here, not a ton, but bear with me because I jotted these down a couple of days ago and, and I'm just, just now reviewing them. So I hope I can make sense of my uh, chicken scratch. So first off, you need some Adderall. <laughs> yeah, I could use it. <laughs> we should help. actually one thing that we need to mention, Nate. Um, you mentioned Adderall there. Oh yeah, good point. Yeah. Um, first of all, Adderall is an amphetamine. Uh, it can be abused. Uh, it's also something that you need a TUE for in in some cases if you're going to be using it in competition uh, as well. Yes. So you're not use it in competition, and it's something you need to have a doctor's prescription for. And I joke about it because it's a little bit funny, but I should probably not joke about it too. So that's why I have to say this thing yeah. is like, don't start taking Adderall in competition, get popped and then get banned from something. Yeah. But I'm not competing this year too. And, uh, going with my doctor now to figure out what the right dose is. We're, we we're not condoning Adderall abuse here. Exactly right. Yes. Thank you. Exactly. And when I say Chad should take it to make this a better podcast, that's a complete joke. <laughs> Chad, you don't need it at all. No. Beer, Ca maybe. Caffeine. <laughs> Caffeine does the trick. <laughs> One thing I want to point out when you go into this, Chad, sorry. Um, there's what Amber was just discussing, which is fasting for very different reasons, right? Uh, this is for religious reasons, for reasons of faith mm -hmm. and personal belief. And then there's the fasting where it's like uh, you want to make changes in body composition. Um, Chad's going to separate those for us. But it's really important that all of us keep in mind the fact that like, there are different motivations and there's different context for this, right, Chad? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. So there's a big difference between fasted training and training while fasting. Mm -hmm. So Ramadan would constitute the latter, right? He's, he's fasting. This is part of what he has to do every day. So how do I balance training with my fasting schedule? Fasted training is, is different, has very clearly very different intentions. So let's, let's talk about that first. Just a couple things we've, We've talked in depth about this topic before, so I just kind of want to review a couple of things. But what we're really seeking or what athletes are seeking when they train in a fasted state is to maximize their aerobic adaptation, adaptations via nutrient timing. So when they have their meals, when they have their nutrition relative to when they train, how can I stagger that or uh, schedule that in such a way relative to each other that I actually receive some aerobic benefit outside of the actual training? Something else is going on in there because of nutrient timing. And we do that in athletes do that in a few ways. First, you can deplete your glycogen and then follow it with some aerobic training. So, you know, do some hard effort and then keep on riding for a couple hours sans nutrition. So you don't, you don't nourish right after rather you keep riding and keep training aerobic, low, low intensity while still in a fasted state or a depleted state rather. 
you can deplete your glycogen and then postpone your post-workout nutrition. So you can do that hard, intense workout and then rather than eat immediately after and refurbish your, you know, start the, the glycogen restoration process, you can postpone that meal for an hour or two or whatever it may be. Which same, it works same idea. Terribly, by the way, for me personally. I just want to put it, that out there. These well, are all that, options. That's a solid that are, point. Yeah, these are all options that Chad are putting <clears> out there, but he isn't saying that this is the thing to do. I just want to make sure because boy, fasted training. It's really easy. It makes so much sense in our brains to starve ourselves and deprive ourselves and require a lot from us. And then we get pride from the fact that, hey, I just did something with nothing. And I've never noticed uh, quicker ways downhill for me than when I try to starve myself. Initially, Mm. I might get fast, but it always ends up biting me really bad later on. So sorry, Chad, Uh, carry on. I just want to make sure because I can, my alarm bells are going off for some of the listeners listening to this. Sure. Yep. So these are just methods for, you know, if you're after this, this is why you're training in a fasted state. Well, these are ways you can accomplish it. A third way is to come in depleted. And this is typically after a depletion workout the night before. So when we talk about an overnight fast where you're just not eating after dinner and you don't eat until breakfast, that's an overnight fast. And that's something that is very different from depleting your glycogen stores prior to bed and then sleeping on an empty stomach and then not repleting in the morning. Overnight fasts typically don't qualify. Everybody does that unless, you know, you're amongst that very narrow subset of folks who will get up and maybe intake some protein or whatever. This typically in the strength realm have nothing to do with what we're talking about here. Um, so, so with those three methods and there may be others, but those are, I think the three most common, uh, caution is merited first in terms of frequency, uh, I, the tendency in my own, especially, and, and people who <laughs> I talk to about this particular thing, we just do it too often. I mean, it would be two or three times a week. And, and the literature seems to say that there's, there's not a heck of a lot of benefit doing it more than once a week, that that second and third time things start to, uh, ill effects, unintended effects start to creep into the process. Um, caloric deficits is a big one. When you're, when you're narrowing your eating window or you're postponing meals or specifically trying not to eat during a workout, you can shortchange caloric <laughs> intake over the course of the day. So whether you recognize it or not, maybe you need 3000 calories because, you know, basal rate plus all the other things you're doing. And for whatever reason, you're only getting 25, especially if your, your eating window is narrow, that that's, that's malnourishment. That's insufficient to support the training that you're doing. Um, fat loss and weight loss, uh, try not to confuse your goals. There's, I mean, doing fasted training or intermittent fasting or time restricted feeding, when you're seeking body comp alterations is very different than when you're seeking performance improvement. And, and a couple things on that. First off, you can achieve both, but perceiving or pursuing both is, is rather problematic. And I'll just, just a couple reviews. One was 2017. It looked at seven studies and, and they noticed that time restricted feeding had slight, if any differences in body composition. So whether they ate normally, whether they restricted it to a narrow window, body composition was virtually the same. A review a year later looked at 46 or 46 studies qualified for inclusion. They noticed that in the fed state, yep, prolonged aerobic endurance. Big surprise. In the fasted state, yep, it fostered a little bit of metabolic adaptations. What they couldn't uh, carry out or couldn't demonstrate is does this benefit performance? And that's always the question with this. I mean, again, we can take it back to the mechanistic level and we can say we get an uptick in this, we get signaling on this pathway, all these beneficial things happen, but do they translate to performance? And there is a scant amount of research that actually supports the link between the two. So 
yep, these changes happen in the body. Do they actually make you faster? And there's still not enough behind it for us to say, you know, definitively, or at least with a bit more confidence, time-restricted feeding or intermittent fasting or fasted training really pays off. Mm. Okay. So now let's go back to training while fasting. In the, in this case of uh, Ramadan fasting, um, maintaining fitness during Ramadan is, is really the goal. And that's absolutely on the table. Um, what's not is because your nutrients are going to be pretty unevenly distributed over the course of, you know, this, again, it's a narrow window. It's like, what are we talking about? Mm-hmm. Eight, 10 hours there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So adaptation maximization is just not on the table. So you're not going to get fitter over the course of this. Don't expect so. But as we've talked about many, many times, maintenance doesn't require a ton of work. So there's nothing that leads me to believe that you're, I mean, you're getting some food a day. This isn't a 24 hour fast for, you know, the entire month, rather it's, it's time restricted feeding, right? So you can get enough nutrients in to be able to perform the workouts necessary to maintain everything you've built to this point. That goes for strength. That goes for endurance. That goes for uh, muscle endurance. You know, the, the highly glycolytic stuff doesn't carry super well to sprints. And that's, it's not a big surprise. And even that, uh, the, the basis behind that literature is, doesn't exactly translate to this situation either. Um, my concerns, and this is supported by the lit is that your protein requirements are going to be hard to meet. And we've, we've talked and we'll talk next week quite a bit more about protein that, you know, you're, you're supposed to get, you know, this many grams per kilogram of body weight relative to, you know, your size relative to how much work you're doing in a day, you're supposed to evenly distribute them, try not to bias them toward the tail end of the day, all these things. Well, you only have the tail end of the day. So in order for you to get all that protein in that narrow window, I can bet that all of it's not going to make it into the whole muscle protein synthesis process. Rather, some of it is going to be socked away if you've, you know, managed to get all 120 grams of protein in during that narrow window, which is quite a lot. Um, Secondly, sleep butts up against your feeding window. That's going to make things tough too. You can't just have a 2,500 calorie meal and then expect to get a a decent level or a quality of sleep. Um, A study did point out on the lighter side of things that time-restricted feeding plus strength training, and they looked at active females where they ate over the course of an eight-hour feeding window, and they did intake suitable energy, as they termed it. There's no adverse effect on strength or muscle mass as long as their total daily protein intake was sufficient and that their training occurred in the fed state. And that's another key concern here. Um, with, with carbohydrate restoration, that's going to be a tough thing to get on top of. So if you're doing super tough, uh, you know, high level or high, uh, highly metabolic strength training, you're doing high intensity interval training, you're doing uh, muscle endurance work like sweet spot and threshold work, Obviously, you're going to have to time your nutrition such that you're coming into it either after, you know, you, you, you ate, went to bed, got up, and you're loaded up with glycogen so you can get through the workout, or you do the work and glycogen stores are sufficient enough, and then you replenish them directly thereafter so that your next workout doesn't suffer the consequences of not timing it just right. So my, my point here is you're going to have to really focus on your nutrition timing. You're not going to be able to get away with some of the things that people – can get away with when they're eating three meals a day. Mm-hmm. And then finally, as far as the performance impact, I think I, I already touched on this, but it was a 2019 to uh, 2020 review, 11 studies qualified, and all they noticed was that sprint power suffered. Mm-hmm. So basically everything else wasn't affected by Ramadan-related time-restricted feeding. So maintenance of current fitness, absolutely on the table. My recommendations are only have three of them. 
first off, no hit workouts over an hour. If you're going to do high intensity work, I wouldn't go for the 90 minute and two hour jobbers. Uh, <laughs> secondly, avoid or, or, or tiptoe around the highly glycolytic work. Again, it's going to have to be in tandem with your, with your nutrient intake or performance is going to suffer progress. Well, I'd say it could stall, but really stalling is optimal here. And then finally, keep your endurance work truly easy. Don't hop on the bike and work at 85% when the workout prescribes 65% because you think for some reason you're going to fall behind because it's Ramadan. Mm. Good I advice, Jen. Yeah. Idea. This is what I think should happen. Uh, Amber just laughs before I even say the idea. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Thanks for the confidence, Amber. <laughs> this um, should be good. No. Oh, come on, guys. So you're going to uh, before. So you can eat before sunrise and after sunset. Correct. Mm -hmm. So what I think he uh, should do is that for before sunrise, you eat your very big carbohydrate meal, uh, like some of these things that I would eat before, like Leadville, right? Uh, and with some protein in it, you wait three hours, you do your first ride. Uh, you're doing a low volume plan, an hour, an hour, and maybe the last one you do an hour also with workout alternatives or maybe 90 minutes for that three. The reason why I say three workouts, because you can have more time between you have days rest between each one to further replenish glycogen stores. So you do that workout, you're going to go down, you're going to be pretty depleted, but, and you're not going to have that meal to like quickly replenish your glycogen stores, but that's not going to be as big of a deal because one, you're not working again that day, but if you're on low volume, you have a whole extra day to replenish. So that next night do the same thing, like, you know, eat, eat lots of carbs and protein. Basically during this time, I would focus on getting enough carbs and protein. Fat will probably happen. And I wouldn't do like a high fat meal or make any of those meals low carb mm -hmm. or make any of those meals low protein um, because that's going to be really important. So then the next day on your day off, still do the same thing. Do a high carb meal for breakfast and then uh, for dinner. And then, and then that next morning, you're going to be replenished like the after that day off and you can do it again. Do low volume with some... You know, as long as you're not doing, like Chad said, crazy high volume, you're going to need carbohydrates during that ride. You ate three hours before a lot. I think you could do three. I bet you could do a low volume plan, maintain fitness um, and not have it be too, you know, too miserable. Uh, the way it could be six workouts a week, extremely hard. Six hard workouts, you're going to die. Uh, not die. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're gonna, <laughs> it's going to be bad. Absolutely no double days whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> yes, right? No double days. But I don't think if you did, uh, I mean, you could maybe, maybe, maybe do some really low, on if you wanted to fill stuff in, like your high-level cyclist, mm -hmm. on those days that I had off, you could do some riding, but I would have it be like 55, 60% of FTP. Mm -hmm. what, do, what do you think about that, Chad? Like extremely mm -hmm. low to... to spare glycogen stores and really try to burn fat during that time and uh on that one too i would do it further in the day like right before sunset so i would do that one as far away from eating as possible to make sure there's no uh like your uh blood sugar isn't spiked so that when you do start low you'll tap into fat earlier than you would if you did it like right after breakfast they're therefore uh, preserving your carbohydrate stores to be or your glycogen stores to be uh, stocked up for that next hard workout. Mm -hmm. What do you think? <clears throat> Sounds good. Sounds good to me. Thanks, I love Chad. it. You all on board? Nate, I just want to say, I love it when you jump in at the end like this, because you're doing exactly what Chad mentioned earlier, which is you're bringing a different perspective to it and saying it in a different way that might land and resonate better with mm -hmm. people who are listening. So 
that was why I was smiling, just for the record. We got gotcha. we got three different three different ways of managing it, or I guess, or three different forms of advice. Pretty sweet. Rapid fire time. Um, okay, uh, first one. Can you tell us how Trainer Road came to be and what inspired it? Much love. That one came in. Nate, give us the like quick one on this. I was listening. I was reading the comments. Do what? <laughs> I want to hear Just, Chad's version. Oh, how TR came <laughs> to be and what inspired it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Give us the quick so, one. So, uh, you met this guy named okay. Chad. He had great eyes and he was leading the squad. <laughs> like long walks. Sick calves. <laughs> great calves. <laughs> uh, I was getting into triathlon and I wanted to be a, you know, I wanted to be a fast on the bike. And uh, he, w- I, I bought a Kirk Kinetic trainer and I tried to do indoor training at my house because I didn't have enough time with work and stuff. And it was just miserable. I got like, I think I did like 15 minutes because I, I just tried to like, just go hard on the trainer <laughs> in my bedroom. <laughs> like 15 minutes, like that's enough. I'd be done. So I went to Chad's studio and I was just out of college and I didn't have much money. And Chad was charging $20 a class. And For drop-ins. I like, you could prepay at 15 a class. So it wasn't totally trying to gouge people do you think i'm made of money how do i pay? No. No, like I i'm felt- paycheck to paycheck uh, so I, I do that and it takes you know 30 minutes to get there then an hour there and 30 minutes back and if i want to bike three days a week that's 60 dollars a week just for like bike training that's pretty expensive and uh but i i did like two of them and i went from like a 235 ftp to 265 ftp and i was like oh my goodness this really really works um and i said i could just code this myself and I didn't know there was an ant stick at the time. So I was just going to have a workout that walked me through and told me the power targets. And then I found there was an ant stick. You could display the power. And uh, I knew that I Chad's workouts were amazing where you you went through them and you were like, you just barely always got through them, but you got through them. Mm-hmm. And I was like, how did you do that? Mm-hmm. So talked to Chad about uh, being the coach. And then we found out we could sell it or, you know, got a lot bigger than you make the whole world faster now, than I thought it was instead of be. just Nate. Yeah, right. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Who's who in the Seinfeld cast? From us hosts. Nate's definitely oh. Kramer. <laughs> <laughs> Nate is definitely Kramer. But he, like, he, like when you the best looking. jump in. <laughs> most dynamic. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> when you when you come in, like you burst into a topic, I like absolutely vis like visualize Kramer bursting the door open. <laughs> Chad's putty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Rad. I forgot about him. Uh, I think Chad is like George I mean, sometimes. Yeah. I was going to say, I think if you, if you were listening to my internal monologue, I'm probably George. Um, <laughs> but that, that doesn't always come across me. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> and Ivy, Ivy has self-proclaimed herself as Newman. And Newman. Yeah. Ivy is Newman. It's fantastic. Uh, everyone should follow Ivy on Instagram because she's been posting that. Oh my gosh. She's so and funny. Frasier, everything else. All right. Would you rather replace your next 30 workouts with the ramp test or 30 minutes at 50% FTP? That's easy. Zero questions. Basically, what I'm doing anyway. (laughs) Thirty minutes. Yeah. I I bet Pete would say the ramp test. He might be the only person. He loves just going. Yeah. If it's not going hard, he doesn't want to be riding the bike. So, uh, another question. And Chad, you can answer this for us. Lots of Pete stuff this week in rapid fire. Is it true that Pete left because he was called back to Asgard? Is that true, Chad? It it is true. Yeah, we talked about it this weekend. As we assumed. Sense, yeah. As we assumed. Yeah. If you had to switch hair with someone else from the podcast, who would it be? 
I was thinking about that this morning when I was trying to do my hair. I was like, man, I got to go, Chad. This, is, this <laughs> takes way too much time. <laughs> if I had to, it'd be John. Yeah. Welcome Obviously. to my rationale. Yeah. Yeah. If you had I was to, forced to it'd be John. I see what you're saying. That yeah. You're saying that you're number one. So if you had to give it up, you'd go to no, number two, which is me is what you're saying. Nope. Because I am comfortable with myself and I am accepting of who I am. I like so I don't need to change. Yeah. But if someone forced me, I would go to you, John. I like your hair. Hey, thanks. I'd go to Chad. I... I really wish I you had can, like a today. Bad, I know <laughs> on the podcast. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I wish. I wish like Amber, you too. I wish, <laughs> I wish I had some really bad receding hairlines. Then I would like shave my head, and I'd have an excuse to do it. But I look really mean with a shaved head, and people that have watched the podcast long enough can know they saw me shave it on the podcast. I look mean. It's true. So yeah, you do angry. Yeah, and I'm, I'd, I'd have to like change my personality to match my hair. That would be rough. So um, okay. Trainer row workout that encapsulates your personality and why. I'm going to expand this to just interval structure, just in case we don't know the names. I, I skipped ahead, so I have one locked and loaded. Spanish needle, because I'm really intense, and then I'm really mellow, and then I'm really intense, and then I'm really That's mellow. That's true. It's Chad. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. Hmm. Uh, disaster, because that's a lot of times that happens. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say, I was gonna say Baxter for you, Nate, because it's like constantly adjusting the intensity nonstop the whole mm. entire time. My personality has a high HRV. Yeah. <laughs> just always, always adjusting to what's going on. HRV goes back and forth. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, Amber, what about you? I am totally blindsided by this question. I was not mm. prepared for this. Yeah. Um, so I don't I don't have a good answer for you. I'll have to think about this. I might yeah might have to get back to this on another episode. Sorry. I'm reduced. I feel really unprepared. I'm reduced amplitude billets. Uh, that's me. So hmm. uh, give me like a short burst, and I will sprint, sprint, sprint over and over. But then I do need rest in between. Unlike Chad, where Spanish needle just keeps on going. Um, okay. Uh, <clears throat> next one: MMA match between Chad and Nate. Who wins? Nate, did you ever do jujitsu? I can't remember if you did or not. Was it just your kids? You guys, you guys say what you think will happen, oh, then I'll tell you okay. what the answer is. So, so. Amber, you first. <clears throat> oh, man. I feel like Nate would win because he would care more. Oh, I'm, I'm going to say Chad because... train harder. Nate's got... <laughs> <laughs> nice, Chad. I like that. Uh, Nate's got long limbs, and those long limbs could just be taken and grabbed and turned into mm. an arm bar or turned into anything else really easily. <laughs> So yeah. I'm I'm thinking that that means that Chad and Chad being a technician as he ever is a diligent technician I could see him grabbing a lazy arm and turning it into an arm bar real quick. Mm. Ooh, yeah. I definitely win because I'm a <laughs> I'm a dirty fighter and I'm a good wrestler. Oh yeah, you did wrestle, didn't you, back in high school? Oh, mm, hey, that no, changes you didn't. Things. I thought no, you could. not in high school. No, okay. no oh. just a lot of jujitsu, which is a lot of wrestling. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I think that we're tied. Oh, now. We have, or we could be. T- yeah. I think we're going to be tied. Yeah. I, I'm a nice guy uh, in college. Like, that's a so weird I, thing to start with. Of, <laughs> Where's this going? I had a lot of friends who weren't nice people. Um, uh, I did four years of like mixed martial arts slash like street fighting stuff in college where uh grappling to street fighting um i used to get like i used to get in a lot of yeah it's just dirty fighting um <laughs> i got in a lot of fights in college 
Um, I got like a scar right here from a bottle to a chin in a bar fight. Um, still oh won my that gosh. fight. Won every single fight. Answer. I have done. Uh, <laughs> oh, knocked people out. Like it's these are these are things I never started any of these. These are ones where like like stuff would happen, and you know what I mean. You're a big like target like to stand out all the time. Being tall. Oh, this this. Can I, can I tell you a really quick story? <laughs> Are you going to regret you? telling this story? If not, let's do it. Are we going to yeah. regret no, it? <clears throat> this is uh, probably. Yeah. Um, uh, basically, I'll give you the short story. We are at this bar, and there are these three other dirtbag guys, and this guy like slapped his girlfriend because she was pissing him, and my friend got in his face. These three guys jumped my friend, like three at once, so I got in there, and that's why I got a belt in the face. Anyways, we won that fight at the end. <laughs> Um, these three guys only remembered me from the fight, followed me for years. Like I would go to a bar and when I was away from my friends, they would like show up and like try to fight me. This one time I went into the bathroom and I went, you know, there's like the men's bathroom. You walk in, there's a urinal. There was a line. So I went to the side of the door and this other guy, he like comes in as fast as he can and runs up to like sucker punch the guy on the urinal thinking it's me, but I'm on the side. (laughs) Um, so if they saw me, um, they were like, you know, I'm six, six, if I, I don't know if I mentioned that <laughs> and I was big in college, I was like two ten, and my, these guys were like five, eight, five, nine, they would never fight me, um, directly. Uh, they'd always try to like get me when I wasn't looking and then how it ended spring break in Mexico. Uh, there was like a college thing. We went there. He was there like the main guy without his friends Man, this is a and I'm a nice line. guy. And I told yeah, them, like, Bay. hey, let's go talk about this. Because <laughs> I had all these, like, it was anxiety every time I went out because yeah. I didn't know what would happen. I was, like, head on a swivel. Um, and I didn't even start the fight, right? I was just like, hey, I don't want my friend to go to the hospital inside of this thing. Um, so we talk on the, uh, we talk at this bar and we, like, are kind of making up. And there's some other people, some other women there. And I'm like, hey, you should do a body shot with them. Basically, I got him to, like, <laughs> meet another lady who he liked. And he thought I was the coolest guy afterwards after that. Hey, look at that. Uh, Used your words. And that, and that was the uh, <laughs> words that was this. The end of that. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so going back to Chad, I mean, I wouldn't ever fight Chad. I couldn't. There would be no reason to do it. So. Oh, don't consider uh, it sparring. No. Consider it sparring. Yeah, we'll yeah. never know. Even that, I don't have. It's, yeah, same. It has to be like somebody has to be like physic, like protecting somebody mm-hmm. in order for me to be into that mode. It can't just be like, hey. Um, you know what I mean? It, it's, mm-hmm. there's not, the thing doesn't come out unless it's like a protection thing. Nothing but love for you, buddy. Yeah. yeah you you too, Chad. There's so many layers to Aww. Nate. Uh, I'd grapple you though. Grapple would be fun. That is, that's not, you know, starting from yeah, the knees too. No takedowns. Cause that will, I'm too old. <laughs> <laughs> You're too old. It's, we have layers of Nate in this. Like we have playing a tuba, swimming, street fighting, oh, just, using his smarts to solve like- the whole thing. We learned a lot about Nate protecting just now. people. We did. I know, yeah. right? We did. We were only probably like one episode of beers with Chad away from these kinds yeah. of stories. <laughs> yeah, there's. Uh, <laughs> Why did it end? There. Okay, uh, next <clears throat> one. When is Coach Chad going to the CrossFit Games? You've tried before, uh, right, Chad? No, I, in its earlier earlier days, not its earliest days, but earlier, yeah. I, I gave it a fair crack, and I ended up basically dumping a squat bar on my head a number of times in desperation. Cool. So eh, I'm not sure I'm entirely cut out for it. And again, once we introduce competition into it, it gets a little less interesting to me. They're, they're, yeah. Th- those athletes are 
so insanely specialized, even, you know, at age group amateur. Oh, and that's the other thing. Even, even at the master's level, ridiculous specimens. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, fittest athletes in the, in the world, right? Nate, fittest athletes alive. (laughs) Sorry. I know that triggers triggering John. (laughs) I I, I will kick a lot of stuff, but not, not that. All right. One cadence for the rest of your life, 75 RPM or 105 RPM. Oh, 7,500%. I'm such a, match, a masher, naturally. I have to really, really focus to bring my cadence up. And in terms of performance, I do better with a higher cadence. But if I'm just going with what feels good, 75 all the way. That's completely my answer. Mm. So I used me. to be, I used to do 100, but now I do 80. So I'd say 75. Yeah. I, uh, I would say 75 just because I like standing every once in a while and standing at 105 RPM would be ridiculous looking and dangerous. So yeah, I'd say that too. It's funny though. When I race crits, my cadence tends to be like a hundred, maybe even just true, just a bit North of a hundred, but I don't train for that when I'm training for mountain biking, you know, when it's really matters, it's lower cadence for sure. Uh, Jonathan, would you rather race with ankle socks or badly mismatched kit? No, no, wait. We we, we have a better one. Oh, we do from the chat. <laughs> God, uh, who win the fight, John or Amber? <laughs> <laughs> Amber. <laughs> That's what people say. Oh yeah, Amber for sure. I'm not a good fighter. I I just like got beat up by my brother my whole life, but uh, I I don't know. I, I I'm not a good fighter. Um, okay, oh, race man. with ankle socks. Or badly mismatched kit, uh, neither. I would race with no socks, and I would say I forgot mm-hmm. my socks, so I wouldn't have to... choose one. No. <laughs> no. I would say that I forgot on, my on socks, this, and I would race with no socks. On this topic, I have some state championship ankle socks that I wore out of desperation the other day on the trainer, and Amaret couldn't even look at me. <laughs> <laughs> and every time I look down, I just... Wanted to quit. <laughs> Just wanted to get off the bike and hang it up. Oh, I feel this. Yeah, for sure. If if I like, uh, I consider, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I would find ways to solve anything to do a workout. But if it's, I don't have mid-calf socks, it would be hard for me to do the workout. Uh, okay. Have to do one, Ironman or Unbound 200? Unbound. Ironman. <laughs> and, and that's coming from somebody who's done Unbound. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. And from somebody who hates running. <laughs> hates running. Yeah. Hates yeah. You can walk it. I mean, it's an Ironman doesn't have to be hard. If you're yeah. fit and you go 17 hours, yeah, just long. Oh, yeah. Uh, for me, just because I am so worried about concussion on dirt now, Ironman for sure. I'd rather do an Ironman all day. Like, give me six Ironmans in a row over Unbound. Careful what you wish for. Yeah, I just don't. Like, <laughs> nothing about Iron that Man's race. Ironmans are all day. I, <laughs> especially for me. <laughs> but I, I I just, zero, I mean, not even zero ambition, just like a, a, a will to avoid that. I don't, I don't want to do that race. It doesn't sound fun at all to me. That said, anybody that's it doing it, fun. I don't want to demotivate you. It's your race, and it's what yeah, you it's want to do. thing. Like John you know. said that Cape Epic wasn't going to be fun either and loved it. Then that I was totally wrong about that race. So I also didn't expect it to be just awesome trail the whole time, which it basically was. Um, I expected it to be fire roads, you know, um, boy, mm-hmm. it was totally not me too. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, it changed, it changed pretty hard. Uh, one thing on this, she, Nate and Chad, I don't know if you saw this, Amber and I were talking about this. Did you see that? So USAT made gravel triathlon a thing now. 
So amazing. It should be. It's a thing. So cool. But here's the crazy thing. Aero bars are not allowed in gravel triathlon. However, aero bars are allowed in normal gravel racing. <laughs> it's 180 degrees. Wow. Hmm. That sounds like so much fun, actually. A gravel triathlon with no aero bars. Uh, I'm guessing is drafting allowed? Yeah, it's got to no? be. I don't know. I didn't see anything on drafting, but it's got to be. If it's not allowed too, that would make it even more fun. Uh, especially for a bigger person on gravel. Like, oh, that sounds cool. I'd rather just do Xterra. No, because Xterra has technical. It's not that technical. <laughs> like, they, they aren't like <laughs> single track six courses or anything like that. You know, it's just mountain bike trails. I know, but it's going to be less tech or more technical than a gravel. Certainly. Race. I just, yeah, I feel less stable on but gravel. are they going to wear ankle socks? <laughs> no socks is the answer you're looking for, Amber. Oh, <laughs> probably so wear socks. Triathlon. You no can socks. It's I would John if you ever do this. I would suggest wearing socks. I did not wear socks. Oh, don't worry about me, Nate. Some people I will have socks. <laughs> you, don't, <laughs> you don't have to worry about that. Oh yeah, you should <clears> do little ankle socks though. Point. Oh no way! If I'm going to put forth the effort to put a sock on my foot, it will go to my mid calf. I'm I'm right. I have self respect. Here's how you do it: <laughs> you do the bike portion without socks, and then for running, that's when you put on like an ankle sock. So that you can, uh, you don't get a blister and it feels comfortable. I know that's, I know that's what's oh. done. I'm about to, I'm about to uh, go against the current in that regard. Full disclosure, early in my career, ankle socks were the thing. So our standard pro team issue socks were it's a ankle safe socks. Place, Amber. So if anybody does Google image searching, <laughs> you will find lots of pictures of me raising an ankle sock. I just want to get ahead of this, she says. Just, I'm just <laughs> like, <laughs> Everyone was doing it. Perfectly normal. <laughs> All right. I experimented a lot in college. <laughs> they were shorter than I thought, looking back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, favorite winter Olympic sport. <clears throat> That is exciting to see. Slalom. Slalom skiing. Ski racing. Al- mm-hmm. Alpine ski racing, yeah. I don't. Super G. Let's pick one. Super G for skiing. Oh, 100%. Um, slalom. Slalom. Because I hated doing slalom so much. I can't. I, I still enjoy watching it, but boy, I can't oh, stand it. Hockey. Ooh. Hockey for oh. sure. Good call. Yeah, good call. What is Super G, real quick? Super G. So downhill is the most straight with the least amount of turns on the sketchiest tallest steepest mountains and then it goes Mm -hmm. from there from downhill it goes to super g to giant slalom to slalom so slalom is the tightest uh sort of turns Mm -hmm. so i liked it not quite downhill but somewhere in between uh okay and then uh one from our live chat how to get featured on your instagram account tag us just share uh, share a story of you doing your workout doing anything like that and tag trainer road there's also if you look there are gifts that are Trainer Road branded gifts. They say get faster, kind of an Easter egg. You can find them. Search for Trainer Road. You'll find them on there. Um, and then what's the last thing? What's Chad drinking these days and what kept him warm in Canada? Certainly not jackets and pants and everything else. Uh, <coughs> Pete. <laughs> Pete. Pete kept him Pete. warm. Pete. so cuddly. Oh, my God. Uh, the, in Canada, I was coming off of, uh, I recently had bronchitis and laryngitis. Totally lost my voice. So I wasn't hitting the usual stuff and we underbought beer which is the sinnest of sins we <laughs> ran out of beer so up at the lodge uh, yeah. wow as long as we could stretch it we stretched it and then we got desperate and we started drinking leftovers which was not pretty at all <laughs> but uh in, in, in my home life it's all about whistle pig because whistle pig they only do rye uh, rye whiskey and 
if you order from their website, you can actually duck Washington's hefty 20% state tax or uh, liquor tax. Chad, this is published on the internet. I don't know if I would say such things. <laughs> uh, you know, if they want to audit me, I, they can. I'll pay the $5 that I, that I ducked. <laughs> there we go. I'm shocked because the first time we went to Powder Creek Lodge, uh, Chad brought provisions and we were worried that the helicopter wasn't going to be able to take off. Quite literally, we brought too much <laughs> so, I to get to the lodge. <laughs> <laughs> it's because we made weight. There's a weight limit, yeah. and we were well under the weight limit. So, I mean, how else would I fill that excess? <laughs> I mean, how else would you fill it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So we hit the liquor store at 9 a.m. There we go. Yeah. Uh, okay. Raphael's question. Hey, all love trainer road in the podcast. The structure helped me get 40 more Watts this past year compared to just riding unstructured rides the year before. Way to go. That's awesome. Nice Structure helps makes a difference. Mm -hmm. Uh, Raphael says I'm in the Navy and I wanted to see how I can use trainer road for our physical test assessment. The test consists of pushups and plans for as many and as long as you can followed by a cardio portion. I have the option of using a stationary bike and have 12 minutes to burn as many calories as I can. This sounds like a fun challenge. Uh, well, hmm. type two fun. Uh, right now I'm topping <laughs> off at 167 to 173 calories burned, which is an excellent score. And he says excellent in quotes. I assume that's the ranking, but to get an outstanding score, I would need to be above 200 calories. So what plan would be the most beneficial for this kind of effort? Ooh, this one's uh, fun. This is Where do we want to take that? Chad, do you want to go first on this? Yep. Yeah, yeah it's uh, any plan that yields a bigger FTP because that translates to more watts per minute, which translates to more kilocalories per minute. Mm-hmm. Mic drop. I mean, that, that's it. It's really that simple. The bigger the FTP, the more watts or uh, the more kilocalories you're going to burn mm. per per 12 minutes. This goes back to that previous question of like, what it sounds like that score isn't weight adjusted. Uh, maybe it is, but it should be weight adjusted totally. because a bigger person was going to burn way more calories per yeah. uh, like a calorie output sure. than someone who's smaller. For sure. So hopefully that is adjusted. If not, gain thirty pounds. <laughs> yeah, uh, like <laughs> uh, that's going to help a lot and uh, and fuel and stuff like that. So is there a specific plan though? What is mm-hmm. the twelve minutes? Yeah. What is that like? Climbing, climbing road, road race that, would be right the time? jam. That would be because really, like you want to. The way to arrive at the most calories burned isn't to do those stoichastic efforts where it's on, off, on, off. It's to have steady work across the top, right? So it's really finding your highest sustainable 12-minute power. And climbing road race is one of the best ones. Uh, if you actually built a plan with Plan Builder, it would run you through sustained power build and into climbing road race for that. So that could be a really good option that you could do. Um, the, the one thing that I um, would say with this is... Uh, I feel like pacing would matter quite a lot here. Um, you wouldn't want to go out too hard for sure. And you know, certainly don't want to leave it's like any the table. It's just like a TT. It's like any, yeah. And two, uh, with climbing road race, that'd be the specialty phase. And if, uh, Raphael, you have time, I'd go through all of them, obviously, cause you want to have, you want to raise your FTP too, and not only do 12 minute efforts, but when you, you can get really good at 12 minute efforts and, uh, at the end, but don't just do 12 minute efforts or, or like rolling road, sorry, climbing road race, like over and over and over again. I wouldn't do that either mm-hmm. uh, in case that's confusing with the way we said it. Yeah. And if you said 173, uh, calories right now, roughly, uh, that's not a whole lot more work. Like I would expect you to be able to get to the point where you're 200. Um, if you're, I mean, I don't know, maybe you're at peak fitness already in this case, Raphael, I don't know, but if you're not at peak fitness, I, I expect you to be able to get to that. 
Um, that'd be a lot of calories burned for sure, but you could do it. The, um, this, let's bring this down to ground for everybody else. Okay. That's not in the Navy facing this physical test, uh, for the rest of us, that sort of duration is really useful on a bike, right? That 10 to 15 minute power, uh, that's like the sort of thing that helps you make a breakaway stick. It's the sort of thing that helps you bridge to like a, to a long lost one. Thinking of one of the races that Nate has done race analysis. You can check it out on our YouTube channel where Nate bridged forever up to this group and finally made it. Um, it's not the like two and three minute power. It's the stuff that goes beyond that, that really helps you bridge the unbridgeable gaps or get the break that actually ends up sticking. It's also in many places, you won't have climbs that are longer than that. So that means that you'll be good somewhere within that duration, right? Um, if you're in a really big mountainous area, like where we're at, or if you're in the Alps or something like that, you probably have really long climbs, but in most places you probably don't. So this is like a, you know, there are a lot of people that use trainer road for specific events and that's one way to do it. There are also people that just use it because they want to be fit. And I would really recommend this as an approach. You can just say, I know I just want to train for, I don't have an event on my calendar when you're going through plan builder. And then you can go through and just select the sort of training that you want to do. And those longer climbs, climbing road race, man, it makes you into a really, really robust, strong cyclist. Cause you can do that. Amber, did, is this where you focused on these like longer durations during your career being a domestique or did you focus on durations like this? I really, I, I trained all zones, um, and I really needed to be an all arounder. So I had to be able to bridge gaps, um, or sit on the front for hours at a time. So I really had to be able to do a little bit of everything and be a Swiss army knife when it came to, when it came to performance. So, uh, that's kind of what my training looked like, honestly. Mm. These are probably the durations that I find like some of the hardest too, like 10 minute intervals where you're over threshold, um, not a lot over, mm. but just enough where it's like, you're not VO two, but you're certainly not riding at threshold and you're over. Oof. <clears throat> They're extremely difficult. I, while you were talking, I did some more research on this question. Mm. Uh, cause I never do any of it ahead of, the <laughs> I like to go live. It's good. So Raphael, I just did some math and, uh, and if you are new to structure training, you said 40 more Watts. That's amazing. I would keep doing what you're doing. So 12 minutes at 200 calories, that's outstanding. You know, if this is not weight adjusted, uh, so that equals out to about a thousand calories an hour. If you were to maintain that wattage the whole time. And uh, that is like 278 watts, I believe, uh, to get a thousand calories in like an average. So for that 12 minutes, you need 278 watts for 12 minutes. Now, if you are 200 pounds, that's way different than your 135 pounds, uh -huh, right? Mm -hmm. um, so it is, it's possible to get your, depending on your size, it may be possible to even get your FTP up that high where you could hold it for an hour, um, depending on how close you are. It's not an unreasonable ask. Again, based on size. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I remember when Chad first started, I'd look at all his workouts and he'd be like, how'd you do a thousand calories an hour, man? And I was so impressed. I just looked before Cape Epic. I did that for two hours. I did 2000 calories, mm -hmm. uh, a little more. Um, and before when I started, I was doing like 400 calories an hour, mm -hmm. right? Which is crazy. The amount of improvement your body can make with structured training over time and consistency. Um, so Raphael, I think you can, I think you can do it, especially if it's a target for you that you want to hit, uh, depending on your size again, but I think you can do it. This is the, uh, 
seemingly backwards relationship too that exists with so many, like when you're a new cyclist, you want to, a lot of people get into cycling because they want to lose weight or burn calories, just casually speaking. Right. And then you look at them, they aren't able to burn as much as the really seasoned cyclist that probably already looks fit and everything else to them. Right. Uh, and it always is like a big frustration point. But that's just the, another way to look at it is when you're training yourself and getting more fit, your body's capable of doing more work. The more work your body can do, the more obviously more energy it needs to expend in order to do that. So that's why power meters are so cool. We're just measuring that work that's being done. And that's why you get such a good indication of it. And honestly, that's a good way to think of like your body in general, just like how many kilojoules can you go through in an hour, uh, something like that. And that's like a, that's a good, healthy uh, way to look at things. Because once again, it's kind of going toward what Amber says, less worrying about body composition, power to weight, everything else. And instead of being in awe at what your body can do and giving your chance to your body to do something amazing like that. So, and isn't it fun everyone here to see those big power numbers oh, yeah. and just to have like a higher FTP, like it feels so good. Uh, it makes me reach when I'm not way, there. It makes me reach to get back to there, right? Um, to get mm-hmm. back to the point, because I really do enjoy that. It's pretty sweet. So, and it's all relative to you, right? Totally. Because it's whenever yeah. you see that new, it's when you see that new number, you're like, wow, that's could crazy. Be it might be 210 watts for you. Oh, yeah, could be 400 if you're Pete. I don't know if he ever hit that. He just <laughs> kept riding at 400 until he blow he up. Did. Yeah. <laughs> no, he hit it. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. Uh, Tim's question: In recent podcasts, you've talked about goal setting and ad- about da- adapting expectations after illness. Forgive me. Could you give, uh, I don't, did I just say that word? I'm going to restart with Tim's. I'm sorry, Tim. In recent podcasts, you've talked about goal setting and about adapting expectations after illness. Could you give some pointers for mentally coping with race cancellations? This has had a huge effect on me in the last two years of COVID and it's still happening with races being postponed. I've seen this recently with a lot of you athletes down in Australia, New Zealand, and, uh, and so it's been pretty tough for y'all having a lot of those races canceled. So, um, bummer to hear that. Who wants to take this one first in terms of maintaining motivation with this? Chad, you've raced a ton over the years, but you didn't really face a whole lot of race cancellations back in the day because no, see, I don't, I don't have much to contribute on this. I think I'm here to learn on this one because I I had, no, I don't think I've uh, come up against anything that that got, we've had races be rescheduled and that, that is a pain for sure. But, uh, my struggles with motivation have nothing to do with the calendar that keeps getting rearranged. <laughs> Nate, yeah, Can I go. Yeah, uh, so Cape Epic got pushed out. What like twice? twice? So that turned something into like eight months into two and a half years, and that so I had to extend my motivation all the way through that. And the thing that I got the most one, I you know I I really wanted the goal. But two, I started like, uh, you'd have little motivations and wins to do this workout. And um, like we were developing progression levels. I was like, ooh, can I do this thing today and get through it and achieve this thing? Can I uh, push my carbs up? And I have these internal little like battles and missions that I have for myself that when I did them, it would be rewarding and I would feel good about myself. And then I would do it again and again and again. Um, on top of that, having this overall kind of like long-term thing. And I knew if Cape Epic wasn't going to happen, um, we've talked about this before, John, like I would have just put my fitness into something else. There would be some other type of race that I could do somewhere um, or even like a Geiger hill climb, a local hill climb here, something that I would, I could put an all-out effort 
and uh, see where I stood compared to other people with all my, my work. And so that's what motivated me. Yeah. Amber, what do you have to add? John, I was just, I was just going to say, um, I remember at one point, John, you actually made your own race <laughs> and, and did your own stage race, which I thought was a really cool and creative idea. I think there's a couple of things here. One is, um, motivation always the heart of it is success success breeds motivation so when you know we talk a lot about setting process goals um and breaking those down into smaller very achievable goals and if you're doing that it can help maintain some motivation over the long term but i think that what you're dealing with here is you have this destination or a finish line in mind figuratively and literally um and it's suddenly gone and that's really hard because, this, you know, if, if that's kind of the, the driving factor behind your motivation and, and what's getting you on the bike every day, having that pulled out from under you can be really disconcerting. Um, so I think there's a couple of things. One is having a resilient and adaptable mindset is a strength that will that will absolutely serve you in the future once hopefully we're past the point of having events canceled all the time. And so experimenting with what works for you, I would say approach this with a growth mindset and some curiosity. So what is it about this goal that really fueled you? What is it about the goal being removed that's really bothering you? Can you get creative and create another goal um, that might fulfill those same needs? And figuring out what that is for you and answering those questions for yourself is going to teach you so much about who you are as a person and as, as an athlete. And it will really, really help you to apply those things in the future when events are back on the calendar and we're not dealing with these kinds of cancellations. Um, So I would, as hard as this might be, I would look at it as a learning opportunity because I think it's something, it's a moment where you can be reflective and learn something about yourself and experiment, right? So John, you made your own stage race and went and executed it. And maybe that's something that you could do with a couple of friends. Um, Maybe it's just creating a cool new creative challenge for yourself that allows you to go express that hard earned fitness. Um, That may not be a race format. That might just be a cool, really big adventure ride, but see if you can really get in touch with what it is fundamentally uh, that feeds your motivation in general, because that will be something that will pay off and be helpful for for you in the future. Yeah. Well said, Amber. Uh, I think for me, it comes down to, I've had to learn to control what I can control. And that also, uh, Mm -hmm. bike races fall into that. I can't control if a bike race is going to happen or not. They used to be just solid. Like Chad said, you know, like they almost always happened, but they don't. And, and that's just is what it is. And so as a result, I've kind of looked at it like, okay, so what do I want to do with my body this year? Like what sort of training do I want to do? What sort of things do I want to accomplish internally? And then if an event lines up with it, then I throw that event on there. Uh, but if an event doesn't line up with it, I still have that trajectory in place and I still want to achieve something. So it, whereas before it was entirely what events are going to go on my calendar. Now I'll build toward those instead. Now it's like, well, what do I want to do? And then I find events that time in with that. And if I can do them, that's awesome. But if I can't, I'm not going to let it stop me. So, uh, be just like, once again, use this as a, a, see it as an opportunity to celebrate all you've achieved in the training process rather than using it as an opportunity to prove or to do anything else that comes from a race. If that makes sense, just use it as an opportunity to celebrate what you've done. Uh, Cause you've done a lot of hard work to get to whatever point you're at. So might as well celebrate it. Um, Phil says, 
Long-term trainer road user here. Really impressed with the adaptive training, which is certainly offering up different workouts to my previous years following your plans. That has been a fun experience to see, right, Nate? Like with a lot of athletes that have done the plans before, and now they're like, I'm getting totally different workouts, and I haven't had this the past two years or however many years. It's cool. He says, during the base plans, I like to swap out Sunday's sweet spot workout with a longer outside endurance ride. Before adaptive training, I would just use the advice in the week in the current week's plans notes. But now with adaptive training, I'm not sure what to do. Should I choose a productive or achievable endurance ride that roughly matches the TSS of the adaptive training advised sweet spot workout? Or should I still follow the week's plan notes? Uh, really enjoy listening to all of your podcast contributors. Hopefully one of them can help me out. Cheers and thanks from Phil. Nate, how would you answer this one? You know what I'm... It's going to be bad. Let's have a little product design meeting right now. Uh, <laughs> not prioritizing, but Amber, sometime in the roadmap, we need to build this in in the next, let's say, six months. We need to build this mm-hmm. feature into the product so that on Sundays, uh, it's an automatic choice between the two. And then in Plan Builder, I think what should happen is you can choose. Do you want to have a sh- shorter sweet spot ride on Sunday or do you have a longer aerobic ride on Sunday? Then you can make that be indoor or outdoor as the default and then switch back and forth. That that would be Amber's team that would build that on the calendar. It's very doable for us. Amber has other priorities first, FTP estimation being the, the one that she's working on right now. Um, so th- that's, uh, yeah. It so is I something think we we've talked a lot yes, about. Yes, we have. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. it's just a priority thing. But I think it's to the point with now adaptive training that we have the system to do this really, really well. And we should uh, put that into the product now. Uh, so let's talk later about priorities inside of that and i can't promise a specific date um because of priorities we'll have to talk to our coo brandon about it but uh that's something that i do definitely want to put into the product because it is confusing and uh some people who have the time it's it could be great for them to do an outside ride that's easy on that sunday so i think this is which one to switch is a better answer to question for chad yeah in terms of which workout to sub in you're saying yeah yeah I, well, one thing I want to cover is just how he can do it now in between now and then, right. Uh, in between now and when the feature gets put in there, he's <clears throat> doing it right. There's workout alternates. It's a great feature that you can look at mm-hmm. and you can adjust things and, and change around some different categories to be able to select the workout that it, that you want to use instead. Um, I, I would, so in this case, you'll be going from like a sweet spot workout to probably down to a tempo or to an endurance workout. Um, I still, when you look at that in terms of which workout to select, select it based off your levels, uh, make sure it's productive or achievable. Don't try to match the TSS. Just try to make it productive or achievable for those zones. That would be the best, uh, mm-hmm. advice that I would give. And that's one of the cool things about, uh, you know, everything with adaptive training that's come along is that it's easy to see what workout is the right workout or what, what workout is absolutely not the right workout. And then add 50 to 75% more volume on that too. Sure. So if you have an hour sweet spot, go to 90 minutes to an hour and 45 minutes aerobic, sure. like an endurance ride. Don't match it time for time because it's not going to be the same. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Sound good, Chad? Sounds great. Thanks for bailing me out. Nice. <laughs> Nancy. Chad goes, what? <laughs> Nancy says, I ride in a hilly area and all my rides require me to ride with a lower cadence, yet all your climbing workouts require, a sp- or, require or specify a higher cadence. I find I rarely train with specificity is all rides are higher cadence than I use than I ride outside regularly. So why do you specify all the high cadence for climbing? That doesn't make sense to me as we all climb in a lower cadence than 90 RPM. If it, if it is really a climb, well, not everybody, Nancy, um, 
you know, some people climb at high cadence and that's just how they roll. Look at Chris Froome. That dude's about to, he could, he could make a smoothie with those legs and he's going up. <laughs> so he's like burning at like RPMs that are crazy. So not everybody is that way, but I get your point, Nancy, especially with bad, you know, or with gearing that limits you. Yeah. You just end up riding it at, at a low cadence. Chad, uh, what do you say to this one? Uh, first off, Nancy, if, if you're not already doing it, I recommend turning on the workout instructions, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, because, and, and I know not all the workouts have instructions, but certainly in the earlier phases in the base training, they should all have instructions. Uh, I do more. try to take, take this into account. I try to make sure that, oh yeah, no, things have changed a bit that, uh, you're not always going to ride at the same cadence and certainly climbing is going to take place at a lower cadence. So I try to sprinkle in even within the context of a single workout and then sometimes an entire workout, the climbing drills. And I call them climbing drills because they're specifically not necessarily out of the saddle, but they take place at a lower RPM range, 75 to 85 typically. So right around 80 RPM because I do recognize the specificity of turning out big watts at lower cadences on climbs. I mean, even if you're geared for it, you may not want to spin. It may not make sense for you to spin at 90 RPM. So um, <clears throat> all the workouts shouldn't be that way. I, I absolutely do recognize that lower RPMs suit climbs. Um, and then as far as – I wouldn't even waste my time with a deep dive on this topic because it's such a contentious and, and just – one study refutes another almost directly, and then there's all these gradations of just oh, – it makes my head explode. I, I, I have my uh, research topics compartmentalized into all these different folders under different topics and subtopics and whatnot, and I just opened up the cadence folder, and it had to be 40 studies. And, and I started <laughs> sifting through them, and it was just like this, this is a complete waste of my time. Uh, yes, force output is going to influence fiber recruitment, but how often is that meaningful? So if you are grinding along to get up a climb and you have to do it at something that is probably biomechanically more advantageous, but ekes a little more glycogen out of your muscles of what consequence is that at the end of the day or at the end of that hill, or even in the context of a race, a lot of times it is probably not even a factor worth concerning yourself with, um, high cadence can still translate to high force output. So even if you're burning along at 90, 100, 105, if you're really gassing it up a climb, you can still be jamming out huge watts, recruiting those same fibers. And yeah, you're doing it with a high cadence. So that's, that's not helpful. Uh, I looked at one study in particular that I will mention where they had a freely chosen cadence and they subtracted 20 off that freely, freely chosen cadence. So their usual you know, natural cadence, less 20 during the final minute of the bike such that when they transitioned on the run, it extended their time to exhaustion. And that panned out for some of them. For some of them, it didn't work at all. Um, the energetic cost, the effect on your heart rate, the muscle stress, the minimizing RPE, all of these things are some studies look at one, if not all of those things, and try to figure out where the balance lies. Nobody figures it out. I, I will note that minimizing RPE seems to head the list in terms of optimum cadence studies. So it all comes back to do what feels best, which, you know, so, so why even overthink it? Um, and brings me to my point, regardless of what the literature says, just choose what you work, work, works for you and look at the fact that even the highest level riders range all over the place. Uh, you watch a cycle cross race and you'll see, see people zinging along in a 90, hundred RPM. You'll see some of them grinding out those climbs because they just can't wrap their minds around a cog any bigger than a 28 <laughs> and they'll just, just bury themselves and make it work at the highest level. Um, sprinters 
can choose lower cadences during dur- during the you know when they're hiding in the field so that they have a stronger end of race snap, but that doesn't doesn't translate across all sprinters. And then multi-sport athletes, a lot of the time I see the argument that they favor lower cadences so that they can preserve their running turnover, while others actually favor a higher cadence so that they can mimic their running cadence. So it, it, again, there's just nothing that's so conclusive as to say there's a proper cadence to seek out, rather kind of kind of do what works best for you. I find cadence is like there are some people who are so dogmatic about it, right? Have you ever had experienced that? Where mm-hmm. some people, people have pulled me aside at races and <clears throat> talked literally 30 minutes about why we should train people to do high cadence all the time. And, and just, I think it's, it's usually generational too. There's like, there's some generations who don't care. There's other generations who very much care. Like they learned one way or like maybe when they were coming up, there was like, that was the thing. Mm-hmm. And they've kind of stuck with that through, um, not everyone. This is, this is not like. I'll say this is like 2% of one, less than 1% of cyclists. You know what I mean? But some people though, they live and die by like cadences that the thing that will make you faster. Uh, but to Chad's point, one, there's evidence all over the top pros do it all different ways and studies show all different ways too. There's not like something where uh, training more makes you faster, right? Versus not training. That's pretty definitive mm-hmm. is if you train, you're going to get faster than not training. One, one tendency that we do see is with newer athletes, they tend to spin at a lower cadence. And even at a point where mm-hmm. it's like not, uh, it's not healthy or productive because they may be, they, they haven't had time to really focus on technique or anything else yet. And they may be pushing too hard of a gear, uh, too much force for the amount of speed they have. They could reduce some of that force, increase the speed, still keep the same power, but possibly, you know, not do so much damage to joints or anything else. Now that said, <clears throat> when you're becoming an experienced cyclist, and I've been an advocate for this. I like to be proficient at a wide range of cadences because in different races, different scenarios will be presented and I want to be prepared for that. Now that doesn't mean that I, um, like am super strict and it's like, I spend this amount of time and this cadence and that sort of thing. But I allow myself to vary my cadence. Sometimes it makes intervals more interesting too. Like if you have like a 20 minute interval and you're going through it, maybe break it up into four chunks of five minutes and do different cadence for each of those five minutes uh, chunks that you do. Chad does that all the time in workout texts that we have. Um, so it's really, I think just a like cadence. I view it like a filter through which you pass your power, right? You can change that filter, but it's still going to be the same power. The more you're used to putting out power at a high cadence, the better you'll be at it. And same thing with low cadence. So I just want to be prepared for all of it. So that's why I train a little bit of all Amber. Are, are you similar? I was just going to say, you took the words right out of my mouth. I would say it's worth training a range, um, especially if you haven't worked at high cadences before. It's worth working on that. You might find that it's really beneficial. We were joking earlier about, you know, the 75 cadence being my choice of cadence for the future. Um, That is where I feel most comfortable. It's not where I perform the best. And so one thing that was very beneficial to me was training at a higher cadence, because what I found was once I got comfortable at the higher cadence, I actually performed better at a higher cadence. Um, But of course, that was dependent on gearing and terrain. So uh, was I going to spend that 105 cadence up a really steep climb? No, but it was a beneficial tool for me to have available when um, it made sense to apply it. So 
I think it's worth training the, the full range. And if when you're outside, you're in a hilly area where it's difficult to train a higher cadence, then focus on the higher cadence work when you're on the trainer. Um, and then that way, when you do encounter terrain that's a little bit flatter, you can experiment with that and see what works for you. But I think it's worth experimenting because um, if you if you only stick with what you're comfortable at and you don't train that range or you don't try it, then you don't have an opportunity to see if something else might work better for you. And maybe it doesn't, but at least then you know for sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. Um, <clears throat> we have just, uh, we'll do one live question here because it was asked a few times in the live chat. I've heard Pete mention several times, is he by chance coming back soon? No, um, but we still, and I'm sorry, listeners, but we still have contact with Pete individually, you know, some of us. So we'll mention him on the podcast and I hope that it's forever. Yeah. yeah. So I hope we're not <laughs> like, you know, dangling Pete in front of you and you can't have that connection with Pete. You can always go find him on Instagram. He's not very active there. Um, and he may not respond to messages and stuff, but, um, yeah, he's, he's doing really well for for those that are asking on that. So All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us on this episode. I can't believe my voice made it through. Fantastic. Really happy about that. Good job. Thanks. Yeah. Um, And thank you everybody for tuning in live on YouTube. Once again, subscribe. There's a notification bell that you can hit so that you don't miss new videos. Maxine, producer Maxine doesn't just produce this podcast. She produces a lot of videos as well. She cuts out the best parts of this podcast and puts it on our YouTube channel. So you should all go and subscribe to our YouTube channel. And please subscribe to this podcast and share it with your friends. That's like one of the best things that you can do to help us. Go to trainerroad.com, sign up, build a plan, get faster, use adaptive training. We'll talk to you all next week. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone.